0: Okay, rolling All right. All right hey what's going on? It's Bill Burr and it's time for the Thursday afternoon just before Friday Monday morning podcast and you know if if, if it's being filmed that means that I have a very special guest because as some of you who aren't who are new to the podcast I usually just talk to myself in my little uh, man cave there but every once in a while somebody comes to town that I, I have to sit down and talk with and this is no this is not an exception. The one and only Mike Donovan is here. He has a new stand-up book called *The Stand-Up Comedy Book*, a collection of thoughts, stories, biographies, jokes, and journals of stand-up. Mike Donovan, one of the legends of the Boston comedy scene. I, when I started out, welcome to the podcast. Thank first you. of all, um, when I started out, you were one of the guys that I used to watch, and I would sit in the back of the club and just watch you get on these rolls and just absolutely like level the room. And you would be killing so hard that I forgot that I wanted to be a comedian, that I was trying to be a comedian. i literally, you, you were one of those guys that was so funny that you became like an audience member. And I remember sitting in the back of the club thinking, how do you get that funny? So do you think, cause this is what people have always asked me, why are there so many funny guys coming out of Boston? Like. I always said the guys that started set the bar so high and there was a standard to be original and no stealing jokes that's and none weird. of that shit. Yeah, you that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you got you got punched in the nose. And I just remember watching all of you guys how hard you killed, that I didn't think that it was out of the ordinary. Like, when I would watch you guys killing, like, my idea of what killing is is because of guys like you, Lenny, Noxie, rest his soul, Tony V, all of those guys, Gavin Sweeney and all of them. And I remember when I moved to New York, oh, God, this is going to start some shit, but I moved to New York and I saw people coming off stage going like, ah, dude, I killed. I fucking slayed. And I would be like, I mean, you had a good set.
1: Yeah, some of these people that say (laughs) I killed, I say you should be killed. Yeah. (laughs) What was, I know what killing is, and you know, right. you, that wasn't killing. You. I got to stand, I killed last night. I, I, I've known you 20 years, I've never seen you kill. Apparently, it's only when I never see you
0: <laughs> that you kill. Yeah, why, why? what was it that made all of you guys just, I don't know what it was like from the beginning, it seemed like. DJ Hazard, Frank Santarelli, all of you guys were just murderers fucking murdered and there wasn't there wasn't any kenny Rogerson. i'm trying to think of anybody you don't got to name a name in there that would kind of just you know hit a single to right and wait for somebody everybody was just kind of swinging for the fences
1: yeah the northeast uh, it's cold and i don't mean the weather you know if you stumble on the sidewalk it doesn't matter who's walking by it
0: could be a 90 year old nun (laughs) right people laugh at you it's a mean thing you think a little bit yeah yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I, I, something that uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that I started out and uh, I got to see you guys doing your thing. So how did you, I never even, I remember when I used to open for you, you were real quiet. So I get really intimidated and you'd say, hey, listen, pal, keep it to like three or five fucks. No, no more Well, than let that. me tell
1: you that story. Here's <laughs>
0: how that worked. I love that it wasn't three or four. It'd be like three to
1: five fucks. Right, right. Well, first, uh, Michelle Polito at the Kowloon told me one night, watch this new guy, because t- she trusts me. I'll always be honest with her. She said, what do you think of this new guy? Just let me know what you think of this new guy, Bill Burr. And I watched you at the Kowloon, and I was watching, and you did this one bit that really uh, got to me in a good way. It was about clouds. Right. You were oh, saying, Jesus. who is the first pilot that saw a cloud and said, let's fly through this? And oh, had the, yeah, other the guys, balls to go through yeah, it. and the other guy saying, no, 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 it's, it's going to destroy the plane. And I thought, <laughs> that is brilliant. You know, that is just brilliant. And that won me over. And so then the next day, a lot of people used to call me up and say, hey, uh, can you recommend me to some bookers? And I said, well, you know, it should be something that I decide to do. It shouldn't be something you're leaning on me to do. So, right, so I called uh, without you knowing. Now, did you
0: it. have a problem saying that to people?
1: Yes, you I wouldn't did. say it. I'd sort of lie to. You. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Yeah, I'll get right on that. because you know, like, if you're asking me, <laughs> chances are, it, obviously, the answer is no. Otherwise, I would have done it by now. I know. And Louis C.K. was another guy. He didn't ask me. I saw him, and I said I like this kid. And I I called a couple of bookers, and I got him into a couple of clubs. You might not remember it. You might not
0: remember it. But I called uh, Pretty Polly, uh, Denise Kirk. That was one of the big phone calls I ever got. I remember when they called me. Pretty Polly used to book uh, college gigs, and they were like, "Hey, Bill, this is so and so from Pretty Polly. Mike Donovan gave you a shout out." And they go, do you know who we are? I said, yeah, I know who you are. I go, you guys you guys yeah, booked the week, colleges. And it
1: happened fast. A week later, she's like, oh, it just so happens I got something coming up at Dartmouth. So we took the ride to Dartmouth. It was three and a half hours. It's a lot longer than we're going to be here on this podcast. It's right. three and fif- 3.15 each way. Uh-huh. And we got there, and it was uh, three degrees and windy. It was one of the coldest nights ever. We had to park four blocks away. But, you know, you did a great job, and it was all uphill for but let me just tell you one thing. I was, I was watching one of your specials last night. You were talking about how you were checking out the new music because you figured, well, I'm going to play this club. So I'm, so I'm thinking, I'm going to do Bill Burr's podcast. Should I watch your specials? Because I'm, I live under a rock. I'm a bookworm. I'm writing history books all the time. That is my life, is history books right. and writing them and, try, and self-publishing them. And I, didn't know, I knew that you would become big, but I didn't know what you would become. And I'm thinking to myself, what if I don't like what I see? <laughs> what if I watch this special, and he's some nasty prick, some uh, right wing asshole, or some left wing asshole, oh. or, or maybe he's mean spirited, or maybe he's become hacky? I don't know. I don't know. I know that I. Well, liked- so you
2: think
0: politically, I'm in the middle? Yes. Thank God, because that's what I try to do. Because I don't want to. I don't want. I don't have the answers. I don't want to piss anybody else. So I sort of trash both sides. I got to be honest with you, liberals are more fun to trash because they're not used to it. We're right. conservatives are like, eh, fuck you, you guys always shit on the... the no, what- when you came into Knicks, I, I had... The night
1: before you came into Knicks, I didn't know you were coming to town, and uh, I had a dream that you were in my kitchen talking to me, and he handed me your address, I w- and it was a long dream. I like, that is bizarre, I haven't really thought about Bill that much lately. I know he's big, I haven't talked to him in ages. And then... The next day, I get a phone call from Nick saying, do you mind if Bill Burr comes in and does a guest set? And without s- hesitating, I said, yeah, I think I do mind. <laughs> He's going to destroy the place, and then they're going to boo me off the fucking stage. And then, and, and then I said, uh, and then Ryan said, uh, Ryan Cott said, uh, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I I all right. I just, it was just an initial reaction. Right. You know? and, and then you came in, and, and I watched your set. You didn't hurt my set at all. Cause, you know, well, I
0: couldn't. You're Mike Donovan. Well, well, you're you're a mind I was also nervous, dude. I went right back. This was last summer when I was getting I was getting ready to do the, that gig that I had in, in, in Boston, so I wanted to do uh, a little set to to warm up. And I I rem- I went right back to being little Billy Burr opening for you no. and, and like Drake. It. Dude, no, I was serious. No way, dude. You got like you know. You got that face dude, where you're just sitting there, you like that poker face, like I don't know what you're thinking. And I'm just going like, keep it to three or five fucks. Don't piss <laughs> off no. Don't piss off Mike Donovan. Mike Clark won't get me a giggles anymore. I went right back to that. and I gotta tell you when I got off stage and you said, man, really funny stuff, like I can't even tell you what a lift that gave me because I hold all of you guys where you should be. like the like you guys built the scene that gave me a career so when
1: you, i was when watching you and i was watching you you have a wonderful rhythm and i was watching that uh but i was noticing uh that you were even-handed and that's a lenny bruce quality and before we finish the show i want to do a lenny bruce impression if we can okay uh but i was you were even-handed and there isn't a lot of that out there there is there, there's a lot of people that don't do any political leanings mm-hmm. a, they're just hacks or whatever or they just do their thing and it, and it doesn't touch on politics but uh, you can name a hundred right-wing redneck comedians and a hundred left-wing liberal comedians. I'd
0: say a thousand left-wing.
1: <laughs> but they don't—they don't, <laughs> don't have a, 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 mo- a moderate bone in their body, and they—they they never know how to say, uh, "Well, I change my mind on that. I'm back and forth on that, or I'm not sure about that, or I right. don't know enough about that, or I used to feel this way and now I feel this way." And, Call me tomorrow, I might feel differently about it. Right. And I used to be on WBZ Radio as a a guest for for several years before the pandemic hit. And one of the things that my co-hosts really liked what I said was, never let your opinion become your identity. Because then you have a vested interest in not backtracking and not changing your mind because now my ego's on the line because I asserted myself on this issue and Uh, now my opinion has become my identity. And I work very hard to always be ready to change my mind in a heartbeat on anything. But anyway, I I was noticing and it was wonderful to see uh, anybody that was even-handed. It's so rare. To me, that's one of your outstanding qualities and I think it's... uh, It's not my good looks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) No, I, I really appreciate that because um, I think that, like, I I don't know. I don't know shit, right? But when I see people, like, just, like, in entertainment, tweeting their political opinions, it's just like, why would you do that? Like, nobody gives a fuck. Nobody. Exactly. You know what, dude? Just the way you said nobody was beautiful. <laughs> it's nobody. You're yelling at nobody, and there's a couple of morons That will yell back at you like last night we went out to dinner my wife and I with uh, a a couple uh, great friends of ours and at one point I showed this this thing that somebody had posted about how the the politicians in the the Senate and the House of Representatives all crushed it last year in the uh, in the stock market you know and everybody else like took a bath but somehow they knew exactly what you know and he looked at it and he goes is this true? And I was like, you know, I don't know. Someone just put it on the Internet. And he goes, because, you know, I don't know if that's true. And I started to argue with him. Then I just stopped. I go, like, why don't I just just fucking agree with you that maybe it's not true? Because right. I'm not going to change yours. And let's just enjoy dinner. And we both just started laughing. Because at the end of the day, like, if you get sucked into that thing where, like, I think this way and you don't. And I'm going to convince you. To think the way I think, like what the fuck do I know? So, but back to that point is that
1: the person talking, like you're describing, is never going to backtrack and
0: say, you know, I've changed my mind about that.
1: I'm well, ra- my friend
0: I- actually laughed and goes, "Yeah, you're right." Like he's he's, he yeah, is but, cool. but
1: nobody says, you know, well, tomorrow I might think differently about that. once yeah. you once you establish this, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal. Uh, I write history books. That's what I'm. I'm self-publishing. I'm.
0: Still, what part of history is, is fascinates you that, that, that you're right well,
1: about? Well, uh, World War II, I've always been interested. In. When I was 12 years old, I wasn't a very good student, but when it came to anything to do with World War II, the teacher would stand next to me to make sure that no one could steal my answers. I couldn't slip the answer. I I, knew, I was an expert <laughs> on World War II when I was 12, but then I forced <laughs> myself to— So you got an A in history and Fs in everything else? Uh, pretty much, close enough. But I have a great trilogy I've written called Who's Who in World War II, Who's Who in the Civil War, and Who's Who in Russian History. Right now I'm on a binge on Russian history. I'm I'm a wizard on Russian history. I'm available to be a teacher if anybody wanted to hire me. (laughs) That's amazing. People say, why don't you teach? Well, it's not that simple. You don't just walk out the door say anybody want to hire me to be you You know what's funny
0: I actually wanted to do that like one summer I wanted to go back I went to Emerson College and I was like I would love to just teach a course because they have like a comedy or performance course out there and I was like I would love to teach a course on like stand up comedy and just hang out in Boston which I love eat the food I love put on 40 pounds and then go down there and help out you know, these, this next generation of comedians and then I found, well, ah, you got to get certified, you got to do this. Right, it's not that simple. Yeah, it's a if, long... If,
1: if somebody heard this podcast and say, this guy, I checked him out online, I heard him, he sounds like somebody we could hire. I mean, I'm available but I'm also available to just live the rest of my life as I'm doing it. I'm not worrying about that but my history books, you wouldn't know I wrote a a, a JFK, a history, I I wrote a history of every presidency, not every president, every presidency. I might be the only person. What's the difference
0: between every president and every presidency? Because uh,
1: a uh, a presidency is a history of the United States in that president's time. My books are called like the USA in the time of JFK. So it's not really about JFK, but it's divided by presidencies. And when if, if you're in college or high school and you're reading uh, books about American history, it's always these large ch- uh, blended chapters that roll into each other, you know, economics in the pre-Civil War era and, you know, education. But, but, but to have it nice and organized uh, one book at a time. But anyway, the point is… A friend of mine was—he's uh, a successful writer, Jack Olson, he wrote a bunch of uh, true crime uh, books. But anyway, he uh, was looking at my stuff and he sent it to one of his friends and he asked his friend, does this guy swing from the left or the right? Because the guy read the whole book. And the guy said, you know, that's an interesting question. I mean, right there, I'm in, I'm in gold. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. That's and he, perfect. And he thought about it. He says, I think he swings from the left. But just the way that what I just said went down, that says it all. I've written, I got some e-books I've published about, uh, I call it The Heritage of American Slavery. Mm -hmm. And it's a history of, uh, mostly it's stories and incidents that have to do with slavery in American history. And you get tumbleweeds when you mention it on social media because everyone's afraid. Believe it or not, this might be hard to believe, it doesn't have any left-wing stink on it, and it doesn't have any right-wing patriotic stink on it either. It's right. just stories. It's old-fashioned history. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I'm a bookworm. I'm up all night reading old-fashioned books, and I'm creating these history books. And this is my life. This is, this is why... I'm only a household name in the Boston area uh, until I got here. This is the biggest right. thing that ever happened <laughs> for me. And that's not a backhanded compliment because you're a special
0: person. I appreciate that. And I remember one time, just if you want to know about this guy, I remember when I was I was talking to you <clears throat> way back in the day about some hell gig I did out in Lee, Massachusetts, and somebody threw a fucking dinner roll at me and how pissed I was when I left just humiliated and you looked at me he goes you know what I do when I have a gig like that he go I take the money and I go out from the money from that gig I go out and buy myself something nice it was back then he goes you go I had a gig like that I went out and I bought a fucking VCR and every time I pop a tape in I think fuck you to that crowd I (laughs) gotta and I was just sitting there like I was like that is such like a great way to try to get something Um, there was always that story and then the Don Gavin the classic one where he drove all the way up to Western Massachusetts to play a fair, and he showed up, and he's like, yeah, hey, I'm the comedian. Where am I performing? And they go, ah, oh, we figured you'd just stand right over here, get up on that picnic table. He goes, you going to set up any chairs? They go, no, we just figured you'd start doing your act and people would assemble. And he goes, is there a microphone? And they said, no. He goes, okay, great. He goes, you know, I got my props in the car. I'm going to go get <laughs> not a prop comic and he just got in his car and drove home and I remember thinking like I didn't know you could do that right like I would have been like well I I don't want to piss off the people at the fair and I would have stood there and humiliated myself so there was another thing that I liked about you guys was the self-esteem that if it was a bullshit gig or something happened you guys all had your little thing like you know don would leave you're like oh, i'll fucking do the gig but i'm getting a vcr out of this right
1: i always just thought that was so cool one of my favorite things in the book that i mentioned is a a, a, a slogan i have called don't forget and this and this is going out to aspiring comedians mm-hmm. don't forget your shield your shield is your act if you're in a situation it's noisy there's music coming in from the next room the mic is shorting out the the manager is being a grouch, and you're like, this sucks. Right. How am I going to get through this? Don't forget your shield. You're not just going up there as yourself. You have an act. Mm-hmm. Just do your act, and that's your best strategy to get through this difficult situation.
0: That's How I've, did you get the nerve to do stand-up? Being like, you remind me a little bit of myself, or uh, believe it or not, as much as I run my yap. I am introverted, especially back then right i was pretty walled off and everything like that easy answer
1: okay i love doing impressions and that's what i started out as and so i'm so uh thrilled to get up on stage and do the impressions Mm -hmm. that the nervousness doesn't even enter into it can i do my best impression What tony soprano get the fuck out of here up your ass (laughs) up your ass all the conversation i get around here miles be a fucking dildo you know what? You got that. The, the this thing is too to fucked break. up for me even to think about. <laughs> and I was walking on the on the Walk of Fame, and I stepped on Charlton Heston's star, and he went, "Get your stinking shoes off me, you damn dirty Yay. tourist!" Oh, damn! <laughs> One more. Where Rod- did you start? Uh, I started out in Corning, New York. I was a disc jockey. I was a top forty disc jockey. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, W E K T ninety eight point five <laughs> FM. <laughs> Hammondsport, Bath.
0: I started off in radio, college radio. Oh yeah, I was. Uh, you're listening to 88.9 WERS, No, 88. Yeah, 88.9 ERs Boston, a broadcast service of Emerson College. And before that, I was on 6:40 a.m. WECB, which only went to the dorms, and I had the two to six a.m. shift. <laughs> there was nobody listening and really? I was like, anybody has any requests like they were listening to me, and I remember at one point I was almost done with my shift, and I was like I was just exasperated, and I finally just said, "You know, just call in, just tell me you hate me, I don't care, just something and I f- thing lit up, and I picked it up, and this guy goes, "I hate you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of and then I hung up and I sat there like thinking the whole world was listening, and he was actually the boyfriend. Of the girl that had the 6 a.m. shift. So they would just listen oh. to hear if I was still
1: on the radio. Yeah. Do you shrink requests? Yes, I do. Will you please
0: leave town? Yeah. I, I got all of that. I used to, wow, my, I used to host the Jazz Oasis I to, on, on WERS. And those fucking jazz fans were the worst. They, you'd ask for a request. They wouldn't request anything. And then I would play something. And then some old dude would call up, man, this isn't jazz. Who the fuck does this? <laughs> It's just like, well, give me a request. You're, I shouldn't have to. And then they would hang up on me, and I would be sitting there like, it was Charles Mingus. I thought I couldn't go wrong with that, but I, I, I picked one of those um, those late 60s, early 70s, where they completely just were playing like free form. And
1: yeah, I like that stuff.
0: It was, do you? I, I get, it gets too crazy. Let's, let's talk about your book, though, that I cannot wait to read, because I already was going through this. Oh, there's Santarelli, Frank Santorelli. Mark Scalia. Yeah, these
3: you are know, guys.
0: All little... I start out. Kenny Rogerson. You guys should know these names, by the way. And then you even had because Chris Rock. You have all of these stories. Um, yep. I actually saw Bill Downs. Yeah, Billy Downs. Billy Downs. Shout out to Billy Downs. Gave me a lot of my uh, first gigs. Dick Doherty, rest his soul. Um, it's a fun read. It's not comprehensive. It does.
1: It's not a history of stand-up comedy. It's not how to do stand-up comedy. It's not entirely a biography. It's not entirely about the Boston. St- it's all over the road, and there's right. a lot of uh, – I, I have s- stacks of index cards. That's h- partly how I maintained uh, a level of quality in my act, is, is always listen. Every, t- every show I ever did, I listened to. You and did I, every show I ever did, not in the last ten years, but up while I was, you know, coming up. Every show I listened to, and I'd stop and take notes and write them down on index cards, you know. And some in the book, there's a lot of my index cards where uh, I, I go word for word on the in, and then I translate it because sometimes it's like it's in shorthand, shorthand yeah. yeah. And so it's like notes from uh, shows. Like for example. Uh, I, uh, I'll have will find an index card ninety eight on eighty nine. That means it's nineteen ninety eight, and I'm listening to a show from nineteen eighty nine, and I'm making notes, and I'm going, you didn't have to snap at that crowd, you didn't have to snap at that heckler. He meant well. What the hell's wrong with you? This is Wait, a, this is a- you
0: talk to yourself like you're somebody else, like you didn't have to do that. That's hilarious. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So in 1998, th- you went back and listened oh, I have to a- piles
1: of tapes, and you, I always gain things from old shows. Like, hey, that's a a, a breadcrumb that fell off the table. Oh yeah, yeah. A- a- and also, if if you have a joke that you did in 1989 and you're listening to it now on a on a very old tape, you go, if I brought that joke back now, word for word, didn't change a thing, I would do it three
0: times better because of my experience. I would pay to listen to t- tapes of stand up like real stand up not the shit that I saw on TV where everyone's doing their <clears throat> you know their TV set just to hear you know just is a fan of stand up like how, how many hours you must have like oh it's endless
1: and the and laughs are beautiful and Lenny Bruce said this about you you can't fake a laugh Lenny Bruce said it. It, if you tried to fake a laugh they'd lock you up into a lunatic asylum and I or people I, notice,
0: and you I, notice I, I when thought, it's a I fake laugh. Thought, but
1: I thought about that, and I and ever since then, this is I went on a Lindy Bruce binge in the mid-'80s. I was going to the libraries before the Internet. I'm, I'm printing out stuff from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And ever since that day, I've been watching actors, and I've never seen an actor recreate a real laugh. Never. Not even one. And every time I watch a movie or a TV show and an actor has to laugh, I'm like, this is painful. It's so fake. It's, a laugh has a perfect rhythm like the pistons of an engine. And whenever an actor is doing <laughs> it's not even. It's uneven. It's the toughest thing. An uh, actor once told me, you know, anger is the easiest thing to do in the world as an actor. Oh, that's ang- my act. Anger is. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. All right, let me swing around to another point I was starting on earlier. Which I, was no, can,
0: I, can we talk about the laughs, though? I'll tell you a laugh that's a legit laugh. Yeah. That I feel like the actor was improving, so the other guy was laughing. Was It was Harvey Keitel and Rest His Soul, one of my favorite actors, Chris Penn. Um, and they were sitting in the car, and he was telling this story uh, about you know, some Mexican guy, blah, 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 blah. And you could tell he was improving, and everyone in the car, Bushemi, you could see they were really laughing. And what I loved about. <clears throat> Chris Penn—he's just—you could just see like this guy knows how to tell a story. Like he's just like you know, like an oak tree, like rooted in the ground, and you are just like drawn in. There's been a couple of those. Another Harvey Keitel one is if you watch um, uh, Thelma and Louise. Um, I always forget the guy's name—the guy who plays Daryl in that uh, when he's like, "What? Wait, what?" Like Harvey Keitel is just laughing, like he can't control himself. Right. Um, so, if the
1: person has a quirky laugh that comes out easily, yeah. they, can, they can do it in a movie. But as, but I know I know what I you're say, saying. Okay, now he he says something, fu- and they also they always laugh too soon. Drives me out of my mind. It, you haven't even heard the entire punchline, but
0: you know, as an actor, you are supposed to laugh, and they laugh before. That might be the editor, though. It might not be the comedian because they condense it. Because I'll tell you what, blow. What, uh, no, but I mean, in real time, I right. see
1: it all the time. Oh, okay. they, they just laugh too soon. But let all me right. finish. I was worried about not liking you because, <laughs> it, no, seriously, n- but I knew I dug you initially, you know, but I didn't know what you would become. See, I live under a rock. I'm always I'm, I'm reading history books all day. And,
0: I live and, under a rock too, believe it or not. But I
1: don't know who's famous. Uh, I, most of the comedians today, I don't know who they are. Actors, most of the, uh, uh, But as far as comedians go, amongst all the greats, there's only 25% of them that I like, you know, most of them I don't like. It seems most of the comedians love all the other comedians, and, and I don't. I, I'm easily pissed off by stuff that I think is hacky or right. vicious or mean. Uh, it, it be, there's an intangible to a uh, – there's like a spirituality to a person's act. Is this person just trying to be funny? Is it mean-spirited? And everyone was talking about you saying, oh, yeah, he's angry. He's angry. He's got this fuck you attitude. He reminds me a little bit of you, Mike. He's got this fuck you attitude. So I wasn't sure what I was going to find. And, right. and so I watched you, and I was, I was moved because you are not just angry. You're nice. You, you are everybody's friend. There's something intangible about you where you're mean and nasty, but you're also kind and and you, you're reaching out. In I'm a more re- defensive than Ang, but people just hear no, me they're... There's something really nice about you. I, oh, I, I appreciate I, I, that. I'm not going to take in compliments, you're, you're, but I, I appreciate that. Your stand-up, uh, it's very rare to be edgy. And nice at the same time. I'm not sure I've ever pulled that off. I'm a little edgy. I'm not sure. if. Well,
0: I-, I will tell you that I don't want anybody leaving not having a good time. Sometimes if you just bring up a topic like there's no way to please people. Like <clears throat> I did this thing for Netflix, uh, you know, Friends Who Kill. And... I went up there and I was just doing like topical stuff because I was like, well, this stuff isn't going to live long enough for my next special, so I'll do some of this stuff. And I did something about some kid that shot a gun or whatever and like the level of, you know, he shot a, you know, killed two people or whatever. And the level of people saying how unfunny I was, I was like, no, but I realized that it was like because I made fun of something that they were into they thought i was going after what amendment is it with the guns is it the second yeah fifth i always second. forget plead the fifth fifth though, i forget i i who gives a fuck right <laughs> um the, se- <laughs> the second amendment and it's just like i don't give a shit i like guns i don't care if you have a gun but this particular guy was an idiot so i was making fun of him and the, the, you get to those people who just can't you know they're so mm, That they were like, that was quite possibly the most unfunny six minutes of my life. And that's when I started to realize, like, of your life, you're old enough to remember 9-11. 9-11 was more enjoyable than my six minutes on this fucking jerk-off with a gun. All right. (laughs) So, um, but it bothered me because I don't want people to do that. I want people, like what I loved about Richard Pryor was when he made fun of white people, he did it in a way that got me to laugh at myself, which sure. made me open to what he was saying. Sure. Where if somebody came the other way, you know, like that, I would always be like, all right, this guy hates white people, uh, you know, fuck you, I'm not listening to you. So I, I try to do it, like, um, do you remember there was, there was a period of time in stand up where walking the crowd was like this badge of honor? right? And I, used to, I never understood that. I was like, well, once they leave, the fun's over. Right. Like the game is to annoy them, but still keep them on the right. hook It so they in a stay. blue moon,
1: Ray Garvey, who used to book in Atlantic City, he said, any comic that doesn't walk a table now and then isn't a real comic as far as I'm concerned, which is a great statement, but it's essential that the phrase now and then is in there. You don't want to consistently walk people. But once in a blue moon, somebody should uh, go, ah, I'm so, well, I never. Right. You know. But that's another
0: thing, too. It's like, what's wrong with just being silly? Oh, of course. Because I've really come into this new period <clears throat> of enjoying. I've always loved silly. But, like, I find that if you add silliness to a really serious topic, it's, it's like magic. Yeah. Like, it, you're just being... Like domestic violence. The other night I was talking about it and I was just being over-the-top, silly, and sexist, but it was so fucking silly that everybody could laugh yeah, about and it. Yeah, it
1: breaks the tension. Like my newest joke, I might never do it, is uh, I'm not going to mass anymore. I'm sick of all these mass shootings. I'm
0: afraid. Right. So. <laughs> I don't know if that one would work. It might not. I feel like people get the mass shooting thing is... Uh, it depends
1: on the crowd.
0: If, if you're working a... a, a, a a rough
1: crowd, they don't care. And Boston's pretty... Rough. Right. You know.
0: Well, so, this is... You know what I like about this book already is you're telling me that I can kind of basically just... Even if I... Like, if with my ADD, I could just jump yeah, it's, around. Yeah, it's
1: totally browsable. There's no essential grand motive to it. and You know, there's no grand theme. It's just comedy. Collection of biographies. Like my... I call it the Michaelopedia of stand-up comedy, but there's a ton of people that aren't in there. It's just... I just i enjoy writing
0: what what year did you start
1: i my first show was in 1975 at wet goods in Corning, new york i did an hour and 20 minutes
0: 1975 yeah but uh, what was the scene like back then
1: uh there was no scene there was it was uh catch a rising star in new york and i
0: went down there to try to do it down there so you went on that, that famous, that's like the famous one, and then everybody would hang out at the green kitchen or something like that on the east side. I always heard about that place.
1: I don't remember that one. But the guy that was the <clears throat> coolest guy in the world to all the comedians was Richard Belzer.
3: He, oh, is that he right? He was
1: the king of comedy as far as we were all concerned. He hosted open mics at the Catch a Rising Star, and he'd be on stage four hours. Uh, uh, he brought me up on stage, and he stood there uh, working the crowd while I was standing next to him. Like, he hadn't even mentioned my name yet. But if it was anyone else, I would have been insulted. I didn't care. I'm standing next to Richard Belzer. He was I the king. Richard. He was the king of comedy.
0: I and, remember, like, 30 years ago when he booked that procedural show that he, he has, like, the record for being on TV, like, the longest time in a row or something like that, longest years in a row. I remember him standing going, yeah, they're offering me this thing. You guys think I should do it? He was joking around. Obviously, he was going to do it. So I always feel cool, like, I was, like... Um, I saw him right before he got that, That what the what show is that? I never, all I, The what law, is, and order? law and Order? Yeah. Oh, it is. He's on one of the Law and Orders, right? Um, and then uh, I remember seeing, what was it, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, we were at the Tempe Improv and it was right when he got the Tonight Show and he was doing stand-up, you know, he get ready to do like monologues and stuff like that. And I remember t- talking to him as he was, like trying to get his head around the fact that he was the uh the new host of the tonight show i like that's one of my favorite things about being in this business is to be there right before you see you know a friend of yours or someone you admire blow up like that and um
1: yeah i used to hang out with steven wright when he was working in uh at the in cambridge and just just to see what happened to him was wonderful Uh, for the most part the best people do get the best breaks I think you know but but it's not an accident they happen to be the best people occasionally there's a dick that goes far but most of the people that go far are nice and that's part of why they went far right
0: but I I, what I like about you and Stephen Wright is I relate to you guys in that despite what you do for a living you like your alone time oh yeah and like i talked to uh, Stephen Wright one time I can't even believe Uh, I got to talk to him and (laughs) he was telling me how much he likes to be alone that he actually called the post office to see if he could legally stop getting mail like this is how much he doesn't want to get bugged and they were like no sir you have to have a legal address and like I don't know if it's it's being around crowds and all of that stuff that after a while you you kind of love that alone time and I keep having like this reoccurring (laughs) dream Like Not like I'm a sleep dream, but just of having a house in the middle of nowhere and just sitting on the porch with like a cup of coffee or a cigar and just not having anything to do or anybody to talk to. Obviously, my wife and kids are there. um, Right. And just like hanging out with them. Simple living. Yes. Yes, which is why I can't relate to a lot of the... Um, you know, capitalism was always selling you that you needed the next thing, but like nowadays, um, like that whole, you know, grinding 24-7 and, you know, money never sleeps and all of that shit, it's just like, uh that is not a road, uh, from how I'm wired, that's not going to be a road to happiness, you know, walking around wearing some chinchilla coat and never, <laughs> never having any free time, like, I don't understand like what the purpose of that is, but um I got so much out of guys like you when I was coming up and uh, I really cannot wait to read this book. And you, you've you always been like one of the great guys to have a conversation with when I got over. You're a very intimidating guy, man. Just no. be. Well, what it is, is you're quiet and introverted. So what happens is, is if you're an insecure person you immediately go like, oh, he's not talking to me because he doesn't like me. Because I was quiet and introverted, and right. the people used to look at me going like, ah, people think you're aloof. And that was the funniest thing to me. It's like, because you don't talk to When I first came in, I was really shy, especially in New York. I was just, I was scared. And, um, you know, I remember saying, oh, people think you're aloof. And it's just like, if they realized that when I was sitting over the corner not talking to them because I was questioning everything right. I right. did in the last seven minutes of my life, um, it was something I had to learn. Is I'll like- tell you
1: how quiet. I've never told this story. I did a show in Pennsylvania, I think it was Scranton. It was one of those old cities, and uh, it's Friday night, and I did good on Friday night. It's first time at the club, and after the show, they came up to me, shook me. You were great. He says, "We were thinking about firing you." I'm like what? <laughs> says, we were talking to the management down in New York City, and we thought you were so quiet that you couldn't possibly – they weren't joking. Yeah. They were discussing it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon whether to have me replaced, just based on the fact that I was that quiet, sitting in the corner reading a history book. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, and, and I didn't say anything, but inside I was thinking, you fucking assholes. You didn't even give me a chance. Then I was, I was in gold, because I did good on stage. Right. You know, I, I light up on stage, and I'm pretty quiet off stage. Unless I'm watching the Three Stooges or somebody I think is hilarious, uh-huh. you know, I can get a phone call from the hotel management. You've got to keep the laughing down. Right. Because it's not like I don't have a sense of humor, but uh, I have a high standard for what's funny.
0: You know what that reminds me of? One time I had a gig, and I was living in L.A. the first time. And it was, uh, I was playing Atlantic City and the plane was late. I landed in Newark and I got a rental car and I was one of my first headlining gigs. And I'm driving like a madman to get down there. <clears throat> and I make it down there just in time. And I come walking in and I say to the guy, hey, you know, hey, so and so, Bill Burr, I'm the headliner. And he goes, oh, he's like, you look nervous. Yeah, right. And it's just like, and I just immediately just felt what little energy I had drained out of me. <clears throat> and I was just thinking, like, I have to work for this fucking cunt all weekend. (laughs) But I was old enough that I knew I was like, this guy is miserable and this has nothing to do. I was just starting to learn that. But this is the thing. I still needed his approval and he never quite gave it to me the whole weekend. Yeah. So the whole weekend I just felt like he was leaning on me and, um, you know, those casino gigs are not easy gigs when you first start because it's this this sort of cross-population. If you're not used to doing the road, your act's going to be a little regional and also very age-appropriate. I was a young guy in my right. 20s, and these people, you know, had just lost money, and they were in their 50s. <laughs> yeah, why don't so. you
1: smile more? Put a hidden camera on me. Leave the room. I'll brighten
0: right up. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you fuck off for a minute? Um, Unfortunately, oh look at that! We're coming to the end of them. Um, I, I can I also talk for like a, another. I also
1: have a Lenny Bruce book I've written. It's. I was
0: going to ask you if you if if you if you uh, wrote one because I didn't realize, like I knew that guy was great, obviously, but like I he he did this bit on Jackie Kennedy.
1: Oh, yeah, that was great. She wasn't trying to help the Secret Service man aboard. She was hauling ass to save her ass, just like anybody else. And I wouldn't want my wife to have to live up to that standard because it's all bullshit.
0: Right, and he did that in, like, the beginning of 64. Like, that literally happened in November. And six, five, six months later, he was already making jokes about it. And to to hear him do it and actually hear people laughing was... um, it was one of those those great things where you're like, people really haven't changed. Because that's the kind of thing that somebody, you know, back in the day, the Comedy Cellar when I was down there, and I would watch all these great comics like Louie and all of them, like they would have, Colin would have a bit about that. Like, I'm, oh man, I remember Colin, like the best, he had the best fucking nine eleven joke of how people were trying to be like, sort of like, make it seem like they were almost in the towers. And each example got more and more ridiculous. Like somehow they were like literally, like they couldn't set their ego aside. I'm totally butchering it, but they, they had to make, nine, even 9-11 had to be about them. And he was doing that like on like September 20th or whatever, like nine, 10 days after it happened. And he was killing with it. And, um, you know, there's there's a thing where you watch comedians from way back then, you know, take my wife, please. And you see that you just think it's all this. You didn't realize that like, no, there was guys you know, Lenny, Red Fox, and all these guys were just slinging it the same way people do it now. You just could not get on TV saying stuff. There was no HBO, but, like, people were were joking about that stuff, and you had, like, no idea. His stuff on, like... uh, 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 homosexuality and all of that—that that stuff he did live at Carnegie Hall.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And it's, I'm just sitting tremendous. there going, but "He like, had silly. He had, to, but that's tremendously silly." But uh, the, the 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 Dustin Hoffman movie and that awful book by Albert Goldman and a lot of these documentaries—they they might be loving documentaries and they're taking this heavyweight meaning to w- what he was to society and everything. They forget about how silly he was. And I, at this, back before, even before CDs, I had made this uh, cassette tape, The Best of Lenny Bruce, mm-hmm. uh, my homemade uh, selection. Like your mixtape yeah, of mix, Lenny Bruce. And I handed it to comedians all the time. I was like the, the Lenny Bruce Johnny Appleseed. I would hand it to comedians. <laughs> and I swear, every time the comic would come back to me two months later and say, Mike, I never realized... How fucking funny he is. Yeah, he was amazing. Because people are so focused on the seriousness of his life story and how he defied society and redefined this and that. And, and there's a lot of truth to all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was also hilarious. And people don't realize just how fucking funny And his he stuff
0: stands up. Like, like oh, big the, time. The, the, the The Carnegie Hall, he kind of screws around for like the first 10 minutes. But right around 10, 11 minutes, when he goes into his act, like... I was listening, and you, you forget that it was... I mean, that was in the 50s or 60s that he did that? I, don't, I can't remember when he did it, but I, you know... This is back when I, I had my... Uh, I had a CD player in my car, and I popped it in, and I was like, wow, like, this guy's stuff was still contemporary. Woody Allen, comedian, was another one that was still, like, contemporary. And I think it's because those guys were, like, talking about life in, like, an honest way. Um, it really is amazing, but... Um, Dude, I so enjoyed having you on the podcast and, and, and you know, all these years I've known you. I actually got to know you even better, like knowing that you're a history buff and all of that. And, and I got to get those World War uh, II I'm, books. I'm on
1: uh, Mike Donovan's Bookstore on Facebook. That's the only place I promote myself with an apostrophe. Mike
0: Donovan's Bookstore on Facebook. D-O-N-O-V-A-N. And the name of the book is The Stand-Up Comedy Book. And it's a uh, good
1: read. That's all it is. It's just a. Good, it's for people who like to. If you don't like to read, don't buy the book. <laughs> it, it's for readers. Seriously,
2: <laughs> it's a book.
1: You know, it's not for people that just don't like to read and think. I love stand-up comedy. I'll. Re-. Yeah, if you appreciate good writing, I'm a pretty good writer.
0: I think you're an excellent writer, and I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to read this, Mike. It was an absolute honor yeah, to I'm have you on the fan. podcast. It was an honor to you know open for you and learn from I'm you. I'm a big
1: fan of you now after watching you last time. When I get back to Boston, I'm going to watch all your specials because I just simply want to enjoy myself.
0: Well, can you just? I'm worried that you're going to watch the older ones and think uh, I stink.
1: I'll probably <laughs> like them better than the newer ones all
0: right, the, all right thank so you so great to see you the stand up comedy book Mike Donovan he also has uh, what is it uh, World War 2 uh, who's who in World War, World War II? Two, who's that's, who
1: Civil War who's who in the Civil War and who's who in Russian history Russian history Th- I mean. they're all about 100,000 words long they're f- fairly big books how many pages uh, 350,
0: 400 they're big books well I want to read the Russian history because I know they whacked that family and they finally found him right they buried him didn't they well, the w- best story about that
1: is the, chi- the the girls they kept shooting them and they wouldn't die and they didn't understand when they were and they turned it turned out they when they examined the body they had all the family jewels hidden in their corsets. <laughs> so these are the kind of That's stories. That's the
0: best part of the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's no, no, these sad.
1: there's a lot of good stories in there about Russian history. Yeah, th- I, I You uh, will love that book.
0: All right. The who's who of, the, of uh Yeah,
1: the, and the 12 font version is called Mike Donovan's uh, People of Russian History, but, oh. and the, uh, the e-book is called Who's Who in Russian History.
0: All right. Well, you are an absolutely amazing comedian and a fascinating guy to talk to. I can't wait to read this, okay. and when I go from this, I'm going to Russian, and I'll, I'll, I'll pump all that on the podcast. Anytime you're out here or anytime I'm back in Boston, if you want to come back on the podcast. Oh, I would
1: love to. Yeah. Great to have your respect, sir.
0: Oh, right back at you. Mike Donovan, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the Thursday afternoon, just before Friday, Monday morning podcast. Uh, have a great weekend, you cunts. What's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it's the Monday Morning Podcast for Monday, um, January 26, 2015. What's going on? How are you? How's it going? Um, I am doing this at about 1041 p.m. Monday night in Perth, Perth, Australia. Sorry, you guys going to have to deal with my awful Australian accent. Um, and also the shitty recording thing that I'm going to use this week because I was not lugging my fucking mixer, all the way over here, I remember I had a flash, I was packing up the mixer, and uh, last time I I was in Australia, I remember I I fucking, I plugged in the mixer and uh, it got all shorted out, even though I had the thing to, uh, the adapter, whatever the fuck you call it, anyways, I'm I'm in a fucking hotel room right now, and uh, it's gross, I'm in a gross fucking hotel room right now. Um, I I don't even know where to begin to describe. First of all, the little fucking round coffee table, I had to wipe the whole thing down from the sticky drinks from the last time. And uh, then the fucking, the, the rug is just like, I'm trying to find an area of the rug that isn't stained. Overrated, everybody. The Hyatt. The fucking Hyatt. I remember when I was a kid, you know, the fucking Hyatt even like a Hilton was considered nice. Now, granted, I grew up in a family that, you know, a number of times a month we had chip beef on toast or chicken a la king for dinner, a scallop, potatoes, and ham. This is before the Food Network. So, whatever you, whatever the fuck recipes were handed down or were on the back of a fucking Rice crispy box, that's what you ate. Ever think about some of the shit you had? Ugh. We had this fucking goulash, Hungarian goulash. That was actually good. Then we had this other shit. My mother used to put these fucking noodles in it. And one day, my older brother told me they were actually worms. And every time I went to eat it, I'd be like fucking gagging. My mother didn't give a shit. She'd make me finish it. I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. Anyways, whatever. But back in the day, you know, a Hyatt and a Hilton were nice. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't think they've bought a rug much less shampooed one. Every time I'm thinking I'm staying at the Hyatt, I always thought, the Hyatt, this is going to be great. It's still stuck in my head. Like way back in the fucking day. This place is a shithole. Um, anyways, but I am excited to be out here. This is the furthest into, uh, Australia that I've ever been. Nice 14-hour flight to Sydney. And then, uh, we landed. And, uh, fucking went into a hotel hung out for part of the day and then I had to do um some big talk show I don't even remember the name of it I'm so fucking jet-lagged it was weird it's weird we uh this is how we taped the thing I went down into a conference room in the hotel and they had me sitting in the room and then in another room they had the camera that I just look into and talk and um that person in there was in a room with the light shut out. So I looked like some crazy person when my wife came in because I was sitting there with the light on me, talking into a dark room and um, trying to be pleasant. But it was actually a really fun show. I wish I could have done it live. So, um, anyway, so I'll be letting you guys know my fucking adventures over here as I go. Like I said, I'm starting off here in Perth. I believe the next night is in Melbourne. Melbourne, however the fuck you say it. And... Um, then Brisbane, and then Sydney, and then I'm done. That's going to take a week. And then I'm over to New Zealand, then up to Singapore, Hong Kong, and then the fucking Mumbai, India. And then over to New York to go do the uh, the Patrice O'Neill benefit. So there you go. That's going to be my goddamn week. Um, all right. The fuck can I talk about other than just being on goddamn plane for the last fucking day of my life? Where do we begin? where do we begin? Did did anything happen this week? I don't know if you guys saw this week. I was on the Bill Ma show. Um, I don't think I've ever felt felt so dumb in my life. You know, I felt like when I was on Bill Ma show, I felt like if I went on ESPN and I didn't watch sports, that's what it felt like. Everybody throwing out these fucking stats. It was like fantasy football, except they were talking about terrorism or jails or something. I don't even know. Um, did the Larry Wilmore show, too. The first one. I had a great time on that one. And that was another one. This politician from New Jersey was just firing out these fucking, you st- know, 85% of black males, uh, they, they, they don't have enough toothpicks in their life. And, uh, you know, if you're a white male, uh, you you got plenty of them. And everybody nodding and agree. I had no fucking idea what anybody was talking about. And you're probably saying, well, Bill, you, you know you're dumb. You know, you're not, you know, a meet the press kind of fucking person, either on a real or a fake news show. Why the fuck would you go do those gigs? Because, everybody, I am promoting a movie um, that comes out January 30th called Black or White that stars Kevin Costner, Octavia Spencer, and was written by Mike Binder and directed by Mike Binder. And um, I had a great time working on that thing and. You know, the classic Hollywood didn't want to make it. Kevin Costner loved the story. He's worked with Mike Binder before on a movie called Upside of Anger. And Costner said, fuck it, we're going to make this movie. And he ended up putting up his own money. So um, if you have the time and you have, you know, 20 or 30 close friends, if you could drag them out to the local cineplex, and uh, buy a ticket, watch it legally, and that type of thing. That would be awesome. I would really appreciate it. It's called Black or White. I actually play a lawyer. I play Kevin Costner's lawyer. Anthony Mackie's in it. I mean, come on. And soon-to-be star Gillian uh, Estelle is in it. I mean, it's just it's a veritable who's who, except for me. <laughs> Somehow I snuck in there um should i tell the story bill how did you get the part in that movie uh you know what the conan o'brien show i was on conan running my yap and mike binder had a friend who was watching it said hey you got to see this guy this guy's funny binder watched it and said hey you know what that's the guy that's rick reynolds and i didn't even have to audition for it and i fucking went out to new orleans when we shot it and i had no idea what i was getting myself into as far as uh I'm trying to think when I even read the fucking thing, when I even read the script. I think I read it as I was flying out there, you know, because that's where I am in this business. If you say I have a movie, I say yes before you even tell me what it's about. <clears throat> Speaking of which, I had another one that came out. I actually did a, uh, uh, zombievers. It's a movie about beavers that turned into zombies. Okay. And if that doesn't get your ass off the couch, I don't think anything will. Um, you know, people try to give me shit about that movie, like "Zombies." What the fuck's do Like, we didn't know that it was a joke going into it. Uh, a friend of mine, Jordan Ruben, Ruben, I used to do uh, stand up with him, like twenty fucking years ago in New York, called me up and said, "Hey, Bill, I'm uh, doing this movie. Um, it's fucking over the top. It's crazy. It's ridiculous." So I was wondering if you would just do a one scene in it, and I said yes, and I did a scene with somebody else who's in disguise, who's actually super famous. And, um, I'm actually hearing really good things about that thing, but fucking radio guys like to break my balls about it. Like I called up, uh, WBCN in Boston, toucher and rich show morning show. Toucher was breaking my balls about it. You know, people see it. It's, it's a red flag. You know, he got a movie called Beavers. They start looking at you like, Bill, did you fucking, did you blow a guy in this? Did you do a little bit of porn? Um, but whatever. Uh, so those are the two. But Black or White comes out January 30th. I know I'm whoring myself out right out of the gate. But if you guys could go see it, it'd be really, really important. It's a great movie, great story. And uh, a lot of these kinds of movies don't get made anymore because nobody pays for movies anymore. Which is why movies either cost, they have like a fucking $500,000 budget or $500 Because they're either like not going to invest a lot of money anymore. Or they're going to try to make something... Like those transformer superhero fucking movies, because they're betting on the fact that you're going to be like, "Well, I got to go see that at the, the theater." Um, I don't know. I don't know how the whole fucking thing works out, but you know the deal. Everybody steals everything now. People put the fucking money up, so who knows what? Um, so, anyways, this is the Monday morning podcast. Um, let's see what the fuck happened this week. Now, yeah, this is the off week, the fucking off week between. The AFC and NFC championship games, and uh, and the Super Bowl, so you know there's never anything to talk about. So this week they had the whole stupid Deflate Gate thing, which I don't even really want to talk about. It was so fucking stupid. You know what I mean? It was almost like ESPN should have got sued, or whatever. You know, you're not supposed to cry, like you're not supposed to yell fire in a crowded movie theater. That's literally what they were doing. It was the stupidest, the fucking, the Colts lost by 38 goddamn points. You know what's funny? Some guy on ESPN, one of those science guys, actually, uh, you know, did this whole scientific experiment thing um, to see if, uh, I'll actually post this video, and I always say this, but this time I actually will, to see if it was an advantage. It actually turned out to be a slight disadvantage. The ball got there like a split second later, and they said it was enough, for a defender to get a fingertip more in the way of the path of the ball. I mean, it was so fucking stupid. I swear to God, man, I'm trying to come up with a theory here. I just think, generally speaking, people are sick of the Patriots and they fucking hate Bill Belichick. And I know right now that you guys are going to roll your eyes and whatever. I understand that you're like, "Well, oh, this guy's a fucking Patriots fan. I don't want to hear it, but we'll just hear me out here. This is what I love about Bill Belichick, is even in the press conference after the game, and the press conference before his next game, that's already part of his game plan. Everybody always sits there and they talk about how he's so boring. I listening to these fucking idiots on sports radio. They try to say that he's a joyless man because he just goes up there and they'd be like, uh, "Hey, you got you got Seattle coming up, you know? Well, what, what do you think about them? Yeah, you guys are favored. Do you think you can beat them?" And I'll just be like. Oh, you know they're a uh, they're a great team, and uh, gotta work gotta work cut out for, us, for ourselves. He would do that if you were playing like the fucking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know they're a great team, and uh, it's gonna be a tough game. Gotta uh, work cut out for ourselves. He knows what he's doing, okay? Because sports media they're, they're lazy, they're pieces of shit, and they fucking take whatever you say, and they only they only fucking take a clip of it, and they twist it around in his bulletin board material for the other team, or it creates a fucking controversy and a distraction in the locker room, so he gives them nothing. So they don't like him. So they're looking to take the piss out of him. You know who the media loves? They love a guy like Rex Ryan who's gonna fucking come up and just be like, we're gonna win the Super Bowl! I wrote it on a bus! Right? Right there. Rex Ryan will write 16 articles for you in one fucking... One press conference. He's going to give you your whole fucking season. And as a writer, you don't even have to work. You just put your feet up. All right, either he does it, and he's like Babe Ruth calling the home run shot, or he fails and we get to take the piss out of him. Done. Bill Pelichek gives him nothing. He makes him fucking work. He makes him actually watch the goddamn game. Um, that was the biggest non-fucking story I've ever heard. And... Uh, You know, I'm over here, I went on uh, newyorkpost.com and I saw how Richard Sherman was kind of mentioning, trying to suggest that we have this fucking special relationship with the commissioner. I love how people just can't see the dirtbag shit that they're doing. Do you know the Seattle Seahawks have had the most people test positive for, for performance enhancing drugs since 2011, including Richard Sherman, who also tested positive, and then He said, oh, it was a banned substance, and uh, I took a sip off of of another player's drink. You know what I mean? And uh, I sipped it. I didn't know it was in there. So he got out of it. Now, I'm going to choose to believe him, okay? If I can choose to believe him, why can't he give us the fucking benefit of the doubt? Really? That's why it's in there? You took a sip of your buddy's drink? Who, fucking Mr. Blonde? who then did the time for you, and he did it like a man, He's going to come in here
2: and decide out of the fucking blue,
0: um, give me a fucking break. Okay, Seattle Seahawks with their goddamn stadium that makes their, their, their crowd sound louder than it is, is that cheating? Your own fucking coach who got busted so bad In the NCAA, they actually took a championship away from the guy. And this is the fucking thing. I'm not a Seahawks fan, and I don't give a fuck about any of that shit. I don't give a shit if Richard Sherman was hurt and he did a fucking cycle to get through it. I don't give a fuck. I think they ought to be able to do it. I said that on Bill Maher. Fucking NFL players ought to be able to take steroids, and they ought to be able to smoke weed after the fucking game. They ought to be able to heal up their bodies and fucking, you know, smoke a little weed, take away some of the pain. And there's actually arguments out there that say in the medicinal purposes of the fucking drug could actually, you know, combat Alzheimer's and there's new studies saying that. I don't know if it's fucking true. But I just think if, if you're going to, like, beat the shit out of your body, these fucking Adonises that with two fingers could throw me across the room in their 20s and in their 40s couldn't fucking beat me in a foot race, you know, across a fucking hotel lobby. I mean, I just feel like these guys, the damage that they do to their bodies, it shortens their lives and the quality of life that they're going to have when they are alive. Like, I really think that they ought to be able to... Like, steroids, it's almost like medicine. I don't know. That's just my feeling. And hey, you want to build a fucking stadium that makes your crowd louder than it is? That's not against the rules, but it's kind of a what the fuck. Considering... That Seattle was unbeatable at home and was pretty fucking human on the road for a couple of years now. I still don't even give a shit about that. And as far as that Pete Carroll, breaking all those fucking rules to the point that they took away a Heisman Trophy and a national championship. You know, old sneaky Pete fucking sitting there telling Mark Sanche- Sanchez that he was leaving college too soon and then all of a sudden the NCAA's at the front door and he sneaks out the back door like a fucking rat and abandons all those goddamn kids that you know he told when they signed their scholarships that he wasn't fucking going anywhere. He saved his own ass and he ran out the back fucking door. And you know what? That's Division One college football. That's how it's fucking done. I don't give a fuck. I look at P. Carroll like he just, he got caught. You know? He might have been a little worse or a little less. Who the fuck knows? But it's just the way it works. It's the way it fucking works. So the same way your defensive back grabs a handful of jersey and then the announcers go, hey, you know, if you can get away with it, you know, good for you. It's the same fucking thing. So you got all that shit going on. This is what kills me. Seattle's actually going to be riding into the Super Bowl wearing the white hat, which is fucking hilarious to me. Because they're just as filthy as anybody else, including the fucking Patriots. Give me a fucking break. Do you realize these people who actually sit there and call the Patriots cheaters, do you realize that your entire fucking argument is based on Eric Mangini and fucking Jim Ursay? Okay? Not exactly the most upstanding citizens. I know I've talked about Jim Ursay before, but I'll talk about the guy again. That guy could not beat the fucking Patriots. His team could not beat the Patriots 10 years ago. We fucking manhandled his receivers during this game. He bitched about it. Peyton Manning bitched about it to the refs after the game. The refs were like, whatever, it was legal. The fucking Pro Bowl comes along. Peyton Manning is still bitching about it. After the Super Bowl, Ursay and they, they make a fucking tape and they send it to the league, and the league goes, the Patriots did nothing wrong. That is legal. Jim Irsay sat on the rules committee, and the very next year, the way the Patriots were covering the fucking Colts was now suddenly illegal. And after five yards, you couldn't touch him, and you just had to escort him down the field. And they had Peyton Manning in his prime. Well, guess what? The Colts beat the Patriots, and then they won a Super Bowl. Is that cheating? Is that gamesmanship? And as far as the Spygate thing goes, there was a league-wide memo telling everybody to stop doing it. Okay? To stop having a fucking cameraman standing down there on the sidelines in front of all the fans. They told everybody to stop doing it. Eric Mangini fucking built his resume doing that shit. Oh, Jesus, somebody just rang the door. Am I going to get in trouble here? Whatever. So give me a fucking break. So the Patriots get caught, and then all of a sudden they question their entire... Fucking uh, legacy. Oh, and then meanwhile, we go off and win like fucking 13 games every goddamn year for the rest of the fucking time. And then people are like, well, you didn't win a Super Bowl. And it's like, oh, yeah, that has nothing to do with our defense. It has to do with the fact that we weren't fucking filming people. Give me a goddamn break. Because I'll tell you this right now. If just filming the other team got you a goddamn dynasty, every fucking team in the league would still be doing it. They'd be just doing it right up from the coach's box. There's no camera with a zoom on it. And if you think people aren't fucking doing that now, stealing goddamn signs, absolutely they are. Hang on a second. There's somebody here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hello? Oh, hey, room service? All right. Set it down right there.
3: Uh,
0: you just put it right there on the table. Right here, right here. This table, this table. Yeah, beautiful. Um, Sorry about that. There you go. You like that? That was actual room service captured on a podcast. Um, So whatever. All you guys out there, all you patriot haters, you can run all your – you guys can run your mouths all you want. I don't give a fuck. Okay? Your team's doing shit too. Okay? I love how only we get questioned about that stuff. The Saints were taking out bounties. On other players. Does anybody question their Super Bowl title? I don't. You know? Did you guys see Fran Tarkenton losing his mind? He's still talking about Super Bowl IX. When he showed up and he talked to his lineman. Was it Stu Voigt? Is that was the guy's name? It's like a Hall of Famer. And he's looking over at the Steelers. And he's looking at, looking at the Vikings. And he just goes, how come they're so much bigger than we are? It turns out later, like 90% of them were on roids. Including Terry Bradshaw, who admitted that he was on roids. Does anybody question the fucking Super Steelers of the 70s? No. So go fuck yourself if you're going to be sitting here talking about goddamn balls that weighed like fucking half a fucking, uh, whatever the fuck it was, that minute, unbelievable, deflate gate. And by the way, can we stop putting gate at the end of everything? That was funny in like the 1980s with the Iran Contra and somebody called it Iran Gate. And ever since then, everything is gate. It's just like fucking hacks. Come up with a better goddamn joke. So there you go, everybody. All you fucking cunts who are on Twitter and you're trying to say that, uh, you know, the Patriots are a bunch of cheaters. I, I see through everything that you're saying. You're saying you're sick of losing to us. But get used to it because Tom Brady still has another three, four years left. Now, can we get on to talking about the Super Bowl? Which is arguably the greatest fucking matchup going Oh, you know, I made a fucking great point about the Patriots Colts thing. Um, hang on a second. Another fucking stain on the goddamn table. Sorry, man. I gotta clean this fucking table. This goddamn. What's up? This, this is fucking gross. Fucking gross. Anyways, it's gonna be a great goddamn game. Um, I still. Seattle should be favored. But every mouth-breathing moron in Vegas is going to see Brady and Belichick. So they put their money over there. So then Vegas has got to adjust the line to get money on both sides of the ball. It's the same old fucking story. But um, I actually like that this whole stupid uh, deflated footballs thing came out. Um, I think that's going to work to our advantage. Um, Nah, maybe if we played this Sunday. I think by next Sunday it's going to be pretty much fucking over. Um... I'll be looking for some silly, stupid signs from dumb fans all painted in green. You know, the Seattle fans will have signs talking about the Patriots like they're cheaters. And uh, at no point will it dawn on them why they don't sound even remotely as loud in a different stadium. They'll blame it on the fact that half the place is filled with fucking Patriots fans. Well, do the math. You should at least be half as loud as you are in your stadium, which you're not going to be. Because... Down there in Arizona, it's just a regular old stadium. <laughs> so, so there you go. That's my whole take on that type of thing. And uh, here's the deal: if we play the fucking Super Bowl and Seattle beats us, and they do some dumb shit like fucking deflate the ball a little bit, you know, and we lose by 38, okay? Give me a fucking break. I will sit there and be like, "Wow, the Seattle Seahawks just kicked our fucking ass." That's what I would say. But, you know, that's not how the fucking world works, is it? When you get fucking four um, 24-hour sports channels. There's a fucking lead story on CNN. Give me a fucking break. So, anyways, what do do I think about the Super Bowl? I have no idea. I mean, I think on paper, the fucking Seahawks win. I think defense wins championships, as they always say, and they have the better defense and a monster defense. Um, I love their defense. I think, uh, and I think it's way easier to to shut down the Patriots offense than it is to beat Seattle's defense. And I think our defense is is good, but it's not as good as Seattle's. And when I look at it, I just feel like that's going to be the difference. Um, we're not good at stopping the run and they have Marshawn Lynch and uh Russell Wilson is obviously looking pretty human after the last game, but I mean maybe he just had a bad game, but uh, that guy's m- mobile as hell. And so we're obviously gonna, as all teams, we're gonna have to have one guy just sitting there babysitting him the entire fucking game. but uh, they don't have the greatest receivers. I don't know. But I still th- you know, we can't get any pressure on the quarterback. I swear to God. So I, I don't know. Uh, I just think on paper we lose. But for some reason, I have a good feeling. For some reason, I, th- I think we're going to win. That's probably just me as a Patriots fan. But uh, this is really a Super Bowl I have no fucking idea. Um, I have no idea about. But I got this feeling that it's going to be a classic. I really hope it is. Um, I don't want to see a boring one. But here's the thing. I don't know if I'm even going to be able to see it live I think I'll be live we'll do it live I think I'm actually flying to New Zealand when the fucking game is on and it's a five-hour flight they better have some fucking TVs on there man I screwed up booking this this fucking tour when I did how the fuck did I know the Pats were gonna be in the goddamn Super Bowl remember that when they lost to the fucking Chiefs now everybody's acting like they didn't fucking say that they were done I was convinced they were done. I thought, uh, you know, I just felt like, it, you know, we just kept getting rid of veterans. Didn't want to pay their last contract, and we just were getting slowly weaker by the season. I totally bought into it, so I'm as surprised as anybody that were there. So that's it. I won't talk any more about that shit. So anyways, I'm over here in Australia, and uh, today, lo and behold, is uh, Australia Day. I don't know why, I don't know what it is, if it's their Independence Day, I don't know that, you know, I don't know a fucking thing about Australia. I know they have a very similar um, history to the United States in that, you know, they had some Englishmen come over here, right, and then there was people already here, so that was a problem, and they dealt with it in a way that uh, centuries later, you know, musicians and shit with guilt, would write songs, didn't they? Out where the river broke, right? The time has come. You remember that guy? He said, the time has come to say fair's fair. To pay the rent, to pay our, pay our share. And then the end, he, let's give it back. Wow, wow, wow. Give what back? The fucking land? And then what are you going to displace? Fucking nine million people? How many fucking people in this country? It's over. You know? It's a terrible thing that happened. Just give them casinos like we did, and you get on with your lives. So anyways, I have no idea what Australia Day is. Um, I could probably look it up here for you. If You, wanna, you, know, you already heard room service. You want to listen to me fucking type here? Anyways, it's they basically they celebrate Australia. I, I, I got to think that they could have come up with a better fucking name than Australia Day. Hey, it's USA Day. You know, it's not attached to anything, but whatever. I got to respect it. Everybody gets a day off, which is great and on a Monday, which is even better. So you get a three day fucking weekend and then everybody kind of boozes it up. We got out here to Perth. You know what I saw? Two fucking El Camino looking cars that I, I haven't seen. Like, uh, I don't like, I don't, it wasn't made by Chevrolet, but what was fucking hilarious is that both people were fucking kind of doing burnouts and driving like assholes. So it's nice to see that. That that made me feel like I was home. Oh, like a guy with a ratty haircut driving a fucking El Camino looking car. All right, here we go. Uh, Australia Day is uh, the official national day. See, that's how I read. My fucking brain is ahead of my goddamn mouth. Australia Day. Australia Day is the official national day of Australia. Uh, celebrated annually on the 26th of January, it marks the anniversary of the 1788 arrival of the first fleet of British ships at Port Jackson, New South Wales, and raising of the flag, the flag of Great Britain at that site by Governor Arthur Phillip. By the way, that reference, do you have a flag? That's, um, Eddie Izzard, who was actually on my flight, um, and I wanted to say hello to him because I'm a huge fan. But I don't know. I, just, I just felt like I was going to be bugging him, so I didn't. He's actually over here right now. Thank God, I'm not playing the same city that I'm playing, or I wouldn't have sold any tickets. Um, in present-day Australia, celebrations reflect the diverse society and landscape of the nation. Nice, nice. See how they wiggled their way out of that? Because I was just saying the indigenous people here must not be thinking January 26 was the great fucking day in their history. So now they've kind of moved it around. It's kind of, uh, you know, the diverse society that we live in. You know, we live indoors and uh, you live outdoors in the uh, outback. Or maybe you sit around playing a fucking didgeridoo on the street corner in Sydney. Um, Family events, reflections on Australian history reflections on Australian history. Hey, we probably shouldn't have killed all those people. Uh, Officially, (laughs) official community. I'm not not judging you guys. You Aussie people. Okay, we got the same fucking history and worse. Imagine if you did that and then you added slavery. And then, uh, then you let a select group of people take over your food supply and turn it into poison. Right? And then everybody gets addicted and then years later you yell at the fat people on a show called The Biggest Loser. You know what? They finally came out with a fucking article talking about how dangerous that show is. Uh, Me and Nia used to watch that all the time, and I used to sit there saying, they're going to fucking kill somebody. Somebody's going to die. I don't work out this hard ever in my fucking life. And, uh, you know, I'm not 400 pounds over fucking weight. But they were talking, they did this whole article on it, talking about people fucking up their joints and having really, (laughs) really bad problems and afterwards and putting the weight back on and the diets that like, basically the amount of calories that they give them is like really dangerous and uh, all the shit that you obviously knew when you watched the fucking show. But, um, um, one of the funnier things was, uh, something I can't even fucking remember. What the fuck was I just thinking of? Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the usual me out of my mind and I'm beyond fucking jet lagged. Um, Oh, I know. They they said, like, really over-the-top mean stuff. Like, you're not going to see your daughter's 12th birthday. And as mean as that is, it's actually true, though. You can't walk around. Some of the shit they were doing. There was one guy. I was actually jealous of him. You know? Not that he was fat, but just the fact I would love to have done what he did. Every day, he fucking had, like, three quarter pounders with cheese and, like, three large fries for lunch and a giant Coke. You know, I know that you would feel like shit afterwards, but just think of how awesome that would be as you were consuming it. When you felt that rush of salt and sugar, just sending your mood and everything else through the fucking roof. That's one of those things where you just start rocking back and forth by the time you get into the third one. And you've already drinking half a gallon of soda. You start like humming songs that didn't even exist before. You know, it's a very creative point during that process before you just completely crash out. Um, <laughs> but anyways, what, how many minutes are we in here? Oh, shit, 32 minutes. Okay, let me let me read a little bit of advertising. Right, let, who's getting it? Let me attempt. Let me attempt to read here. You know what? The time has come to read the fucking advertisement. What the hell is it? Live reads. All right, bam. Okay, 90%, oh, me undies, me undies, no more sweaty balls, But boop, boop, Hey, you know what, I'm actually wearing a pair right now, and I got to tell you, they even work down under, down under my fucking balls there. I, I, I could be a personal trainer. I mean, I couldn't, the way I'm shaped right now, but I mean, I, I could do that fucking job. I think. I don't know, it'd be a fun job. And then you would stay in shape because, you know, no one's going to go to a fat personal trainer. It'd be good uh, Good motivation. All right, Vegas.com. Unless you get some pussy. Did you see that, that fucking dude in the kayak that tipped over?
2: Help me. I don't know what to do.
0: <laughs> you got to see this thing. Uh, if I can find it. Some woman taped her fucking friend
2: Water's filling up in the kayak. If I move, it sinks. I
0: don't know what to do. This is an adult. Can you imagine trying to personal train that person? I can't imagine the amount of women out there that are personal trainers, right? To some fucking schlubby guy who fucking bitches and moans like that. That's got to be extra fucking awful for him. You know? Just to sit there dealing with... I already. If you got some whiny female cl- client, I would think a whiny dude would be even worse. You know? I don't know. Anyways, let me just move on here. Vegas.com, everybody. 10% off everything, excluding air hotel packages, using my code BRRR, BURR. B-U-R-R. Uh, Vegas.com is the way to book Vegas. All right? They really do serve up Vegas from the inside because unlike the other travel sites, they're from Vegas, They live in Vegas, work in Vegas, party in Vegas. They give you insider tips on where to stay and what to do when you get there. Vegas.com's propriety drop watch tool promises the lowest rates on hotels. Drop watch continues to monitor the prices even after you book and notifies you of changes to ensure that you get the best deal. Book at the lower rate and they will refund you the difference. Um, What? Book at the lower rate and they will refund you the difference. What do you mean? I'm booking at the lower rate. The difference of what? The higher price I was paying? Oh, Jesus. Uh, Vegas.com saves you money on shows, headliner shows, comedy, Penn & Teller, Ron White, Carrot Top, Cirque de Soleil. Vegas.com offers more. VIP bottle service at top clubs. Oh, we're in the fucking VIP room over here. Cheap tickets, best strip clubs. Go to Vegas.com right now, and when you book hotels, shows, clubs, pick anything on the site that suits you, enter my code BURR in the promo box and check out, uh, check at uh, checkout and get an extra 10% off everything but air hotel packages. That's Vegas.com. Get bonus savings with my secret code, B-U-R-R. got to tell you guys, if you want some insider thing, they kind of alluded to it. Now they're getting away from it. But um, you can go out to Vegas, and you can drive like a fucking Lamborghini or a Ferrari on a racetrack. If you get off the strip, you also can go out there and you can shoot a fucking machine gun in the desert, okay? Anybody can go and get some fake boobs rubbed in their fucking face, okay, as they drink a drink with the fucking umbrella in it, you know? I'm not saying don't do that, all right? Definitely do that and have a good time, but, you know, you should also be
2: talking to her, you know? Hey, Porsche, do you know I shot a machine gun today while riding in a Ferrari? You can do something like that. Um,
0: all right, my apologies for that awful fucking, just awful everything in general. Content, where the hell is it? Come on, man. Come back to me. It's time for the content, and you won't show it to me. All right, here we go. Wait, was there anything else I want to talk about before I got into the emails? Before I got right, before I got into the emails, uh, oh, you know what, when I was on the plane ride over, um... I actually, uh, you know, I, I watched that movie, Lucy. That was a movie that I wanted to see in, um, in the theaters. It just kind of came and went. I didn't hear the greatest things about it. I got to tell you, for a rental, it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. You know, you got that that big pouty-lipped uh, hotties. You know, she's running around, whatever her fucking name is. Sebastian Bach. What the fuck is her name? She's got one of those names, except the chick. It's like the chick version of Sebastian Bach. Right? What is her name? Aniston. It's a really beautiful name. Anyway, she's in it. And uh, ah, they got some good bad guys. They got like some Asian mob guys. Those guys are always cool. You know what I mean? They fucking cut their finger off if they, they... do something bad for their boss. I've always liked that. I've always liked the, uh, the Italian mob thing. I've always liked that. And, uh, the Asian mob guys, you know what I mean? Cause the Asian mob guys always combine like fucking, not only can they shoot a gun, but then they always added the martial arts shit in there with fucking knives and spinning stuff around. You know, that's what I like about the Asian mob before they whack you. They have the decency to put on like a show, like, like murder Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> right. Torture Cirque du Soleil, whatever the fuck it is. I actually watched that. And then, you know, I still had another, like, five hours on the flight. And, um, I I listened to uh, Sgt. Pepper's, the whole fucking album, which I hadn't listened to in so long. That is one of the greatest fucking albums of all time. And there's kind of this backlash by younger people that try to say the Beatles are overrated, um... And all I'm going to say is I just feel bad for you guys because I had never heard of Jay Dilla until he died. And I follow Questlove on Twitter and he did some sort of link and I kind of got into that guy. And if you actually listen to Sergeant Pepper with all this shit that they got going on in the background, crowd noises and all that, and these crazy sounds and all of that, you almost see like the – there's elements of what Jay Dilla was doing on that album like fucking 40 years before it's – Absolutely fucking amazing album. But anyway, so we were flying, right? And as always, I use all my miles when I, I got a really long flight like this. And uh, so we were riding up front like big shots. And this woman was up front. These two women were sitting next to each other. And in front of them, they had two little kids. And then there was another little kid. And these kids were running all all the fuck way around. And um, is there anything worse than seeing a parent whose kid just doesn't even listen to him? It's like seeing a coach that like lost the locker room. The kid kept getting up. The kid was getting up. We were still taking off. Like we were still be, we were still ascending to our cruising altitude. And, um, this, she'd be like, she'd go, Hey, I told you to sit down. And he would just look at her, nod her head and then continue to fucking run around. And, um, I don't know. She looked over at me at one point. I just gave her this fucking look like, uh, I don't know what it was. I was annoyed. Because the kid kept, you know, running by and they bumping into you. And the kid was old enough to not be cute anymore, you know. He was just old enough where I was considering tripping him when he went by. He was like that age. What is that age? Like six, seven years old. Not seven. Seven, you can talk to him. It's like, look, four and under, you, you don't lay your hands on him. Between four and six, you trip him. And then after that age, you just look at him like you sit him down like a person. You're like, dude, what the fuck's wrong with you? All right? Is that good parenting? Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, all right, let's get to the fucking questions here for the week. Where the hell are they? I'll tell you, it was cool being at the airport, man, now that I'm actually flying and, and to, to all the shit that I looked out the window and I never fucking understood. I'm actually seeing what runway we're on, what taxiway we're on, and I'm figuring out why we're still holding there, you know? It's pretty fucking cool. Cause it was uh, horrible weather, just gloomy and that type of shit. So, um, the fucking, the, uh, tower had like all this traffic lined up and we were just sitting there and my wife's going like, you know, how come we're not leaving? We're not leaving. And I'm looking out the window and I think I was able to call it like when, when he was going to let us go. Um, I don't know. I can't wait to get back to that. I got six more lessons and then I actually take my, I have my check ride. And uh, I can't fucking wait. I can't fucking... That will be a major fucking accomplishment if I actually get that thing. I got to be honest with you. I brought my notebooks and all that shit to study. And um, these fucking pretests on the internet. And uh, I don't know. You got to get a 70%. And my school tries to get you up to like 90%. And um, I, I'm all over the map. I'm 85-90 on some shit and other stuff. I'm in the 60s. But I'm no lower than the 60s. So I figure over this the next three weeks as I'm out on the road... I'll just try to do an hour and a half every fucking day. Um, anyways, I probably bored the shit out of you, but I don't care. All right. Be the match, everybody. Uh, Billy M.D. I'm a 45-year-old female whose son survived from a rare form of bone ca- marrow cancer because of BeTheMatch.org. Uh, BeTheMatch.org was something that I, I uh, mentioned joining um, a couple podcasts ago. In case you weren't listening so anyways i was driving to work and listening to your podcast and when you mentioned this i almost started screaming for joy uh we you're the first woman who ever listened to my podcast who considered screaming for joy unless i was saying well that's the podcast for this week then they usually like oh thank god it's over um we were told that he would have a very hard time qualifying to be a donor because of certain factors you mean getting a donor um very hard time, yeah, to be a donor. I think you mean qualify, getting a quali- a match, I should say. Anyways, we stayed positive, and after a year and a half, a donor match was found. The match was a young man in his late 20s who had heard about Be The Match and decided to, enter, uh, decided to register on a whim. Thank you so much for mentioning it on the podcast. My husband and I often question why programs like this aren't mentioned in bigger forums, uh, be it 60 Minutes or the State of the Union address. I don't know anyone who wouldn't help someone's, save someone's life if they could. The donor, or as we refer to him as Superman, had heard about this from a friend at a dinner party. Attending that dinner party in turn saved my son's life, which means that you could be part of saving someone's life too, just by m- having mentioned it. Uh, I'm welling up just writing this email, and I know your listeners are usually writing in about psycho women and sports, but if you happen to... If you do happen to read this, I just want you to know that it means the world to us. Jesus, this is too fucking nice for me to read. Um, Too many compliments here. Uh, To reiterate, what you mentioned on the podcast, the test is literally just swapping. I think swabbing your cheek with a Q-tip. Not swapping your cheek. That would be uh, some face-off shit. Uh, With a Q-tip, they send you and putting it in a mailbox. If you happen to match with someone in the registry... They contact you, and you have the option of saving someone's life. Fuck this. I'm doing this. I got to do that. Jesus Christ. Uh, BeTheMatch.org, everybody. How about you do that? Why don't you guys go out and do that thing, and then the next time your spouse, your girlfriend, or your boyfriend gives you shit, like, what have you been doing all day? What have I been doing? Saving fucking lives, lady. <laughs> or buddy. Whatever women say to their guys. You fucking asshole. All right, got drunk, said some things. Wow, got drunk, said some things. Did I write this? Uh, Dear Bill, I am what many people have called a habitual line crosser. Ah, the classic Charlie Murphy line from the Rick James sketch. Uh, I am a habitual line crosser when I drink. Last night, I was out with some coworkers and my boss. Oh, no, at a brewery festival. Oh, Jesus. All right, what are you guys guessing here? Um, Probably told his boss he didn't know what he was doing. And if his boss was female, he probably made a pass at her. What are you guys going with? Did he say something dumb or did he grab somebody's ass? Anyways, I I ended up getting fucking rocked and told my boss to her face. Oh, my God, she's a female. Here we go. I am willing to lose my job to sleep with you. That's actually kind of funny. He said she laughed and blushed at the bold statement and proceeded to leave almost directly after this. Oh, no. Oh, you said it to the wrong person. Oh, you said it to the wrong person. I'm writing this to you on Sunday morning and have to report to the old fucking clock puncher tomorrow. I have no shame addressing sexual tension with the woman, but my boss, fuck me. My plan is to just carry on like it never happened because honestly... I don't care. And see how she responds with either A not addressing it and keeping me employed, B filing sexual harassment, losing my job and sleeping with me, and he writes, "Yeah." C filing sexual harassment, losing my job and not sleeping with me, boo. Uh letting me keep my job and sleeping with me, fuck yeah. What's your what's your take on all of this? Um I don't have a take on it because you have to give a shit and you don't. You're one of those guys, I have no problem, I have no shame addressing sexual tension. Um, I love the sexual tension. What, your sexual tension? It doesn't seem like she had any. (laughs) You're kind of just looking at this from your own perspective. Um, you have all the makings of a high ranking CEO in a, of a corporation because you you don't give a shit, you have no guilt whatsoever. You've already weighed out all the options. you just, hey, did I get away with it, I either do or I don't. You've completely emotionally not even attached to this thing. Um, you're a dangerous human being. And I hope you don't get up uh, I hope you're not in charge of the fucking water supply. All right, relationship advice. Yo, Billy bitch tits. First off, just want to say, and right now that guy's like, what the fuck, man? That's fucking, dude, think about it right now. You don't have any guilt whatsoever. You don't give a fuck. You're not looking like, oh man, I got a drinking problem. I, uh, you know, I got to change my life. You know, if I'm going to get anywhere in life, you completely don't even give a shit. And then you turn yourself into like this fucking hero. Hey, I got no problem addressing sexual tension. Hey, you know who I am. You know, I am. Somebody's got to say it, it's going to be me. <laughs> eh, whatever, man. Good for you. I hope you're a banger. All right. It's time for some more advertising. I actually forgot to read these things, so uh just had to fucking read these and then drop them in. So sorry for the abrupt um, going for me babbling to talking about the fucking advertising. All right. Here we go uh relationship advice yo billy bitch tits first off just want to say huge fan of your stand-up podcast all right so i am 21 years old and in the military living in england i just got here two months ago and have a girlfriend back home in the states who i've been with for about a year and a half and you've already met someone who wants to bang you over there because you got an accent and a military haircut and you've been doing pull-ups and you're in the prime of your life right that's what i'm guessing she's a great girl tall brunette has a fucking rockin' body. Oh, Jesus. And it's a sweetheart with a good family. Ah, oh, good Lord, dude. If all of that is true, I would rub one out in England for a while. Um, I feel like I hit the jackpot and we are working on getting her over here, uh, which would mean we would have to be married. I want to do it, but at the same time, whenever we talk about it, I get nervous as fuck and this weird feeling in my gut holding me back. I don't know if that's normal cold feet or what. I feel like if I dumped her, I'd be making a huge mistake. But at the same time, I don't want to get married and wake up two years from now angry that I wasn't single living overseas and could have had the time of my life. What would you do in my situation? She's the mother of my kids material. What? But not sure if we're too young. Oh, she's the mother of my kids material, but not sure if we're too young. Thanks and go fuck yourself. Um, I don't know how old you are. You sound like you're young. I would address this with her. I don't know. Is that bad advice? I think every guy fucking has cold feet and freaks the fuck out. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck am I doing? Because women get married, it's just like there's such an advantage to it. You know the way the divorce laws are set up; like they're, they're for the most part, they're not going to lose unless they're making more money, and then they got to be nervous, I would think. But also, I, th- I think just in general, they're, they're, they believe in that romance stuff and all of that shit. What would you do? Um, I don't know, man. That's a fucking rough one. You know, let me say that's a rough one, you know. Do you love her? You know what I mean? If you love her and you don't want to lose her, I got to tell you, um, you won't regret marrying her. All right. Occasionally, you'll be pissed that you didn't crush all that ass over there and you'll go into the bathroom and you'll rub one out. And the second you rub one out, you're going to be like, oh, you know, I made the right fucking choice. All right. I don't know, are you 21 years old? You're not going to get married at 21. Here's the deal. Just tell her you want to be with her, but you're not ready to get married. You're only 21 years old. That's what I would do. Say, I don't want to be married yet. I'm only 21. I want to experience my 20s a little bit.
2: What do you mean? Fuck somebody else? Yeah.
0: No. Dude, you're only 21 years old, okay? If this fucking woman already wants to get married, I mean, I think it's normal to 21 to fucking not want to get married. Just say, look, let's get married around, like, 26. What is the rush? Let's be single and fucking enjoy ourselves. But, like, be together, whatever. I I would go down that road. Um, Ah, Jesus. You know, sometimes you guys ask me these life-changing fucking questions, and I got to try to weigh all options here. I don't want you to get rid of the love of your life, and I also don't want to fucking have you locked down at 21. It's going to come down to you there, fucking private. You're going to have to figure this one out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would start with that. See if you can, oh, I see to get her over there. You'd have to fucking marry her. Dude, that's not a reason to marry her. I would do the long distance relationship thing. Um, I don't know what the fuck I would do. All right. Sorry. I did my best. If anybody has any advice for this kid, just fucking write it next week and I'll, you know, if it makes sense, I'll read it. Alright, annoying father in law. Dear Bill, I'm a pretty well rounded guy. Alright, let's all right, let's fucking run right out of the gate. This guy's patting himself on the back. I'm not a complete stiff, but I'm also not a flake. But wait a minute. Dude, those are both bad things. You know? I'm not a jerk,
2: but I'm also not an asshole. <laughs> I'm not a complete stiff, but I'm also not a flake. Ah, That
0: doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Anyways, I have my shit in order. When you work hard to have your life together, the last thing you want is someone telling you stuff you don't need to hear about when you're supposed to be doing or what you're supposed to be doing with your life and money. My father-in-law is this person in my life. All he cares about is the market. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, IRAs. He actually wrote bongs. Instead of bonds. All he talks about is watching his money grow and how I should be saving everything so I can live rich when I'm older. The thing is, I do save aggressively. I'm doing just fine. Recently, I booked a trip to Greece to surprise my wife for our third wedding anniversary. On our first date, she said she always wanted to go to Greece. I told her she'd get there within five years. That was just under five years ago. Look at you, you're a man of your word. It seems like I came through clutch here. Her father, on the other hand, said it was not the right time because of the exchange rate, safety of traveling abroad, and anything else he could throw in there. How do I respond to him? Do I laugh it off and just wait till he talks shit again and again and live with it? Or do I pull him aside and let him know I don't want to hear his shit anymore? Thanks. I would do both. I would experiment with laughing it off at first. And if he keeps coming at you, at some point you just got to take him aside. You know, and just be like, listen, Um, I would actually talk to you, to uh, your wife about it first, just to tell her that you're going to do it just in case he comes at her with his fucking story of like, I was just trying to help it. He, he just browbeated me. I would just say, you just say to your wife, like, listen, I know your father means well, but, uh, you know, he's always talking to me about my finances, our finances and that type of thing. All right. I know he's very smart with money and that type of thing, but I also feel like I'm smart with money in my own way. All right? And uh, I've saved my money, and we can afford this. And we're young, and you're beautiful, and you want to go to Greece, and I'm taking you because I love you. All right? But i got to be honest with you. If your dad keeps opening his yap, I'm going to fucking shove a dinner roll in it. Are we cool? All right. What are we watching tonight? Real Housewives, or are we going to watch a little sports? Whose night is it? There you go, and then you're out. But at some point, yeah, you got to sit down. If you do have an uh, an annoying person like that in your life, you really do. You got to sit down with them, and you have to do it. Uh, I do it in a restaurant. Take them out to lunch, you know. So there's no option for any screaming and yelling, and um, just lay it on the line. You just got to say to them like, "Listen." You know, I love your daughter more than anything in the world, and you have to know that I'm going to take care of her, all right? And then it'll, it'll be, oh, right, right after bat you catch him off guard because he knows it's a fucking deep conversation. He wasn't ready for it. You're ready, all right? And just say, listen, um, I know you're concerned about her well-being. Of course you are. You're a great dad, all right? But I am saving money, and we are going to be fine I just do it a little bit different than you. Your daughter has always wanted to go to Greece and I would rather take her now in the prime of her life than bring her over there when we're both, you know, walking around with dentures and canes, okay? I want her to enjoy this before we have kids and blah, 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 blah. And this is what I'd like to do and I need you to respect that. And I appreciate your comments about our finances, but I would, but I would, I don't, uh, how do you say this part? I would just say, listen, I will come to you because I know you know what you're doing. But if I if I am having a problem financially, which I am not, but if I am, you are the first person I will come to with advice, okay? Until then, I don't want to hear another fucking word. <laughs> I do going to fucking do it. Smooth it out. That's basically what you do. All right, so that's the podcast for this week, everybody. Um, I got my first show tomorrow night. Um, here in Perth, I'm really looking forward to it, man. Um, I'm going to put my hour together out here and looking forward to all the people that I'm going to see, uh, and comics that I'm going to meet and that type of shit. And, um, uh, it's going to be insane. It's already going to be insane going through Australia and into New Zealand. But when I go into Southeast Asia, um, experiencing those cultures, it's just going to be unreal. Like in China, I had this great interview, um, with the guy for the, the Hong Kong gig. And he was mentioning how Hong Kong, you know, that they're, they're basically their own deal. They have their own constitution and shit. But in mainland China, as he called it, like, do you know, he said recently, the, they, they banned puns. They banned puns and wordplay in the media, which I know everybody else is probably going to laugh like, oh, that's silly. You can't make a pun, but you know, humor is a great way to take the piss out of the fucking people that are in power. Um, And it's a clever way to do it where you can't quite get busted for it and um, unless you got a psycho, which maybe they do, but whatever. But it's a way to kind of make your point and stay out of jail and start a movement or whatever. So they've banned that type of thing. And I guess the comedians in China are pushing the boundaries of what is allowed on stage. And what is amazing to me over there is that in China, the stand-ups over there, that art form – which I think eventually it will go global. It's really weird that that art form has not. The fact that music, you know, acting, and and all these uh, film, all pictures, painting, all the other arts are worldwide, but stand-up, one of the great arts I feel that there is, is not worldwide, and it's like brand new essentially in China, and what's so fascinating, mainland China, what's so fascinating to me is that they are actually pre-Lenny Bruce over there. You know what I mean? Like, I look at these other places where they can actually talk, and I'm like, it's exciting to me because it's like, all right, they're going to have their Richard Pryor, they're going to have their George Carlin, their Sam Kinison, or whatever. And, um... You know, these these guys are, are actually, in China, are like, they're waiting for their Lenny Bruce to come along, which is pretty amazing to me. And, um... I also can't imagine living in that type of oppression, how that would affect the comedy, um, on just like a whole other level. Like just listening to like Richard Pryor and what he ended up talking about because of what he went through. I can't imagine over there. I don't know it's just like a different thing. Like there's that whole fucking experience living in a fucking country with his like, what is that, three, four billion fucking people or something like that? Or a billion people they got over there? I just can't imagine how you would try to stand out over there and then you got this oppressive fucking thing where people got to stand in front of tanks and shit. I know that was like 25 years ago, but um, I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting too. I'm hoping that some comics, when I go to Hong Kong, some Chinese comics will come out and I'll get to talk to them and find out about that because the guy was actually going, would you actually do a gig on main in mainland China. And I was like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't, because I don't know how to fucking I've been a free man. So I wouldn't know how to rein that in. I mean, I've done corporate gigs and tried to tone it down, but I wouldn't trust myself to not blurt out something that would then end. I'd end up. God knows what. having to have somebody call a fucking embassy over a shit. Show. I mean, I don't I, I couldn't handle that because the guy was going, do you have any advice for those? kids over there, and I was like, no, I don't, because I I had a a privileged stand-up career where all those walls were already broken down. I actually said what I would rather, I would like to talk to them, you know, and hear what they're going through. But uh, hopefully, you know, things open up over there, because I really don't think that any government, if you fucking oppress the people, it's just, it's like, it can only last for so fucking long before people have had it. Um. So hopefully, uh, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, you need government and you need fucking rules and that type of shit. But you don't got to be taking it to that level, banning puns and fucking wordplay. Give me a break. Anyway, so that's the type of shit I'm going to be encountering here on this trip. Uh, like I said, I'm going to try to watch the Super Bowl. I'll figure out when the fuck it is. I actually left and I forgot to tape it.
4: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Anything Better podcast, another NFL edition. And this week, we will be talking about, it's championship week, everybody. It's championship, and then there were four. And then there there's were only four. two weeks four. left, Paul. What it's, happened? Dude, Every year. I, I, dude, it's sad. The fact that there's only a few games left is fucking sad. It's over.
2: Uh, um, so Why so
4: fast, Paul? But. But I'll tell you what, I am. I might have had a good regular season. But, boy, boy, am I – I mean, with the points, with the points in the playoffs, I am hurting. Bill, you're definitely having a better playoff run than me. I mean, my New York football Giants. That's a – that's a – that's a that's – <laughs> I mean, whoo. I
2: am, too. I took the Giants, too. I, yes, had, we- the, uh, I had the Bengals. I had the 49ers. I don't even know if they covered. 49ers cover? They covered, right? Um, Dude, my man mush. I literally watched the damn game. Um,
4: Yeah. Yeah. Joe girl. Dude.
2: Just coming in, just breaking their hearts. Buffalo, they're like, this is it. We're a team of destiny. The whole country's rooting for us because of that poor kid. Football gods say no again this year, Paul. But well, you got to start to wonder, what happened in the Buffalo-Rochester area that they just—I mean, they—they they had all the pieces, and every year, Paul, the pieces—they just—they just—they like the snow falling, they fall in the ground. Bengals came in there like assassins,
4: dude. And you know what's crazy? And I—I—I I tweeted something, and at the exact same time I tweeted it the hilarious Joe list tweeted it. And then we texted with each other going, it blew my mind. Tony Romo in the second quarter of the game. Mm-hmm. And it was the only time in my life. Cause I'm a Tony Romo guy. Everybody, a lot of people I, talk. i like Tony Romo, but this was the first game where I'm going, what is he? He said in the second quarter and I'm going, did anybody hear this? He goes, well, you know, Buffalo, they really need to score here. If there's any hope. And he said that. And I go, Dude, any hope. I go, it's a seven-point game in the second quarter. So then I tweeted it, and then I saw Joe List, and he goes, yeah, it blew my mind. But that he was – He was right, though. He saw – he saw that Buffalo was finished early, and he knew that they couldn't stop it. Um, But an announcer shouldn't – and a national broadcast in the second quarter. goes, goes,
2: ah, dude, if they want any hope. Just had one solid quarterback coach – instead of 47 during his tenure with the Cowboys. Now everybody's jumping all over Zach Prescott. Dude, when your team doesn't win for 30 fucking years, at some point you got to look at the front office and stop blaming your quarterbacks and running them out of town. Oh, that's a hot take, Paul. Hey, hey, that's (laughs) right up on ESPN. The banner. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what about, uh, we got to do that segment, Paul. We got to do the uh, the New York Post trying to guess the headlines.
4: Oh, so this is. So this is going to be a new thing that me and Bill talked about. It's going to be on the show. And we decided to do it with the New York Post because I don't care how you feel about politics or anything. The New York Daily News does not do these as good as the Post. But the Post will always come up with one of those clever after a game. It'll be like, for example, like not so giant. And then it'll be like the Giants losing or some shit like that. So me and Bill- When they were
2: talking about- uh... They were talking about how many people are smoking pot. They and, you know, and you can smell it everywhere in New York. Uh yeah. what do I how do I get out of my in one hour? Um so that said uh Eureka, R-E-E-K, Eureka, uh something like that, the city that that always reeks. Then they had a couple of good – I forget what they were. But they had, like, fucking nine jokes on two pages all about yeah. that. Uh, um, how New York smells like doobie, doobie, doo. <laughs> <It was> yeah. <laughs> a reference and a weed reference. So we're going to start trying to guess the New Yorks if the games go the way that we want, you yeah. got to guess. Okay? So we got what – what do you got left here? You got the Bengals.
4: We got first, the and Chiefs we got the Bengals and Chiefs and we got the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers we already came up with one you came up with one <laughs> and our, well let let's do our picks first okay okay we'll do our we'll do our picks first um so look I, I would I actually think I'm right with both of these now. Okay. And I know it's only two, but I think I'm right. But we got to, Andrew, we have the live oh, lines. Thank you. We yes. got to get the live lines here. Now to win the game, to win the game, I have, you want me to do my picks and then you do your picks? Oh, I would love to hear your picks. The whole okay. world will hear your picks, Paul. Okay. I like Cincinnati and Philadelphia to win the game and be in the Super Bowl. But, Andrew, I need the live numbers now because I said if it's over seven, I would take the Niners. So what is the what is that line?
3: The Niners are getting two and a half.
4: Okay, Niners are getting two and a half. I love Philadelphia in that game, especially in – what's that? I love the Eagles. The Eagles at home – is a problem. The Eagles at home – after what they, you know, after what they did to the Giants, it proved Jalen Hurts is a healthy, I love that. And I, I, I'm i rooting hey, for the coach. Niners, I think. Hey, coach nodding in
2: the thing going, I know what the fuck I'm doing. I know what the fuck I was doing too if I had Jalen Hurts.
4: By the way, let's talk about that for a second. And this is not sour grapes from a Giants fan, I promise. One of the worst things that I've ever saw any coach do is when that dude looked in the camera and went, Dude, that was that was an oh, upper deck. That yanked down to his fucking eyeballs. Dude, that was a fan in the
2: he upper deck. Like that. It's at the bus stop that gets hit in the side of the head with an ice ball.
4: Yo, that, that was a fan in the upper deck. That was a fan. I've never seen a coach go. Dude, that was one of the worst douchiest uh, things. Oh, who would ever
2: say I know what the fuck I'm doing? That's how morons think. I know what the fuck I'm doing. It's just like nobody knows what the fuck I'm doing.
4: You're doing. You're having a good day. Oh my god! You imagine Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick ever looking in the camera going, "Dude, I'm- <laughs> what
2: the?" Yeah, and, dude, and Jalen hurts. The amount of improv on every fucking play, where he the, the whatever the play is is out the fucking window, and then he makes something happen, and then this fucking snowball throwing jerk off is. I know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs>
4: He likes the camera, this coach, too. He loves, too. He loves the camera. No,
2: Dude, but- the Dude, they were doing the 360 shot around the guy, like every fucking play. I know. I know.
4: I hope I, it wasn't.
2: It's, it's bad enough when they do it with the players. You know, Paul, the, the the game has passed us by. We're just two old guys. I, I, I miss the old stoic coach that just sits there. Remember Joe Torre? You would never know uh, anything. He didn't smile until you won the World Series. And even then, it was a
4: half a smile. There were two types of coaches when I was coming up. There were the Joe Tories who were stoic and didn't say much. And then there were the Bill Parcells who didn't recognize it. The and they were just more of like the Bobby Knights. Now you got fans. You got fans coaching. You got guys talking. An Instagram influencer. It started with, you got you called it, Bill. It started with Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was the first guy to be like, we're going to go down there and we're going to fuck. We're the New York Jets. Uh-huh. Jerry Glanville,
2: Jerry Uh, Glanville, the guy, there was always a guy like sort of popping off. I just never saw a guy play to the fucking camera and like, uh, look, there's always been like personalities like that, but now it's just so like, I mean, he's trying to get like a sneaker deal. He's trying to get like a fucking aftershave lotion fucking uh, (laughs) commercial. He's trying to, he's trying to be a spokesperson for Aqua Velva, take it away from George Brett. Whatever. Who gives a fuck? I can tell you this, though. That guy's got a great fucking team. He does. They're going to beat the San... They beat the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's going to be not so purdy. Eagles soar to the Super Bowl.
4: Yeah, not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so purdy. Um, And then I think if the... Purdy
2: plays ugly...
4: Yeah uh, yeah and and <laughs> like if that. the Eagles if the Eagles pull it off it'll be like uh I mean I'm sorry if the Niners pull it off like Niners ground Purdy grounds birds or something along with the flight of a bird. They, they like,
2: can't let off purdy.
4: What? Like, <laughs> 49ers
2: sitting in Purdy as Eagles fall. <laughs> Dude, I would love to be in the writer's room. Just dude, one day, this dude,
4: thing. Just... What about this one? Purdy grounds the birdie. <laughs> okay. Purdy that grounds. It runs Dude, Purdy grounds the birdie. And then you just see an eagle sitting on a fucking yeah, something like that. Um, hey, Purdy grounds the birdies. Purdy grounds the birdies. Um,
2: all right. My and favorite favorite then one ever. Yeah. On the New York Post. Was when Clemens said he was retiring, and they had a big send off with the Yankees, and then he signed with Houston, and uh, the title yeah. was, it said, "What an Astro!" Yeah. <laughs> That's it was pretty great. good.
4: It was I like great. they called uh, him an asshole in a clean way. No, the post, the, the post doesn't go. Um. All right, now, so we, I like the Eagles with the uh, by by three. And then there's no way. There's no way. Joe, Sh- for some reason, I guess the young kids are calling him Joe Shisty. Have you heard that? No. Oh, so anyway, but Joe Burrow is going to go into Arrowhead. And he's going to beat the one-legged, limping Mahomes. I think he would beat him even if he wasn't hurt. I think they're really good, dude. What's that? One? one?
3: Chiefs are getting One.
4: Chiefs are getting one, which means it's a pick-em. He'll pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. I think Burrow gets back there. He's got the running game. He's got the fucking, uh, you know, Jamar Chase at wide receiver. He's got T Higgins. He's got some good players. Got Nixon running the ball. He's got a great, McPherson's a great, I think McPherson's a great kicker. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take Cincinnati to win that game. He's got you Anthony knows protecting his backside.
2: Sorry. Um, I got to tell you, Paul, this game scares me. I don't think that either team spanks the other team. I think one is the perfect number. I only think Casey is, is getting one because Mahomes is allegedly hurt. Uh, I've seen that guy get hurt in games and come back and win. he did it with against the Cleveland Browns, I don't think that he's going to be limping around, um, I think the BTK killer, their fucking coach out there, Andy Reid, dead ringer for the BTK killer. <laughs> you know those guys have been there before. They got Travis Kelsey. I don't know about this, Paul. I think this is a classic trap game where they just beat the Bills. Trap as far as being a better that you just because it just seems like oh yeah, Joe Burrow just doesn't lose in the playoffs. He's got the thing going. You know he was just too young to win the Super Bowl that one time. Oh, this is a tough one, to Paul. This is a tough one. I'm actually gonna go KC.
4: Ooh, okay. I
2: think on it's gonna hurt me because I love Joe Burrow and I love the Bengals, but I just feel like uh everybody's gonna think the Bengals, everybody's gonna be like fucking uh uh the forward lateral guy there is gonna be Patrick Mahomes is gonna be hurt. Ba-ba-ba, they're going to put a bunch of money on it. I think the line's going to move, Paul. I think you're going to get more than one point. You might get a point and a half or two come Sunday. And uh, it's going to be a foregone conclusion. Just one of those fucking games, and then Chiefs are going to come out, and Vegas is going to clean up.
4: If Mahomes does one of those laterals, and they go, oh, he's on one leg. He's unbelievable. (laughs) What's going to happen?
2: Anything that... It's just like, it sounds like wrestling. Like somebody just ran out of the fucking locker room. (laughs) Anytime, And it goes Pat Patterson.
4: Um, All right. So if the Chiefs win. Yep. Oh, I had it. Uh, What, Mahomes hobbles into the Super Bowl? Chiefs hobble into the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes
2: uh, gives Cool Joe the deep freeze. Oh, city. Okay. Um, If he uh... loses, Patrick McMones loses to Cool. Something about they're gonna figure out how to make. Yeah, yeah. Name. Talk about how he was hurt.
4: And what uh, I'm trying to think of if they're gonna use the the last name Burrow too. Burrows his way into the barrels, his way something. That'll Uh, be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> back in the
2: day, they would have made, like, an Indian reference.
4: Chiefs get massacred. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they win with the hatchet job.
4: Chiefs sent back to the reservation. Oh. oh, hatchet Yeah, something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Wait a minute. What's his name? Oh, He's Jamar. Skipped. But he here's say- the thing. Here's the thing we're forgetting. Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon are big parts. So, so like, Burrow Chase's. The, the Chiefs has something. There's going to be something like that. Hold on, let me think of one. Oh, Burrow, um, the right mix. Oh. The right chaser. Oh, my like God. That. Wait a minute. Joe Mixon. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, the right mix. Uh, the right mix. uh, uh shit. There's two Joe Joes. Of-
2: These aren't as easy as you think. Uh, <laughs> Especially when the two of us put our heads together.
4: So you're so you're taking you're taking the Chiefs
2: to, to beat them. I'm rooting for the Bengals, but I just got this feeling, man. I got this feeling. Beep, bump. Sorry. Um, I just think the Chiefs have been there. They got a great fucking coach. I don't think Mahomes is gonna be as hurt. Wink wink, nudge, nudge, you know. If he is really hurt, magically he won't feel the pain on Sunday. You know how it is, Paul. Yeah. That's the question, Paul. Can you go? And there's only one answer. Yes. Yes, I can. Put me in coach. They're going to get him in there. Right?
4: Yeah, they're going to needle him up. Yeah, they're going to throw a needle in his leg. His neck leg's going to be fucking numb and he's going to play. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they gave the guy $400 million. He's playing. He's you fucking.
2: <laughs> he's playing. he got $400 million. Do you know what $400 million gets you in Kansas City?
4: That gets you Kansas yeah. Kansas City. Kansas city. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh yeah. Buy exactly. the whole city and
2: every uh, barber join in it for $400 dollars. Your money goes a long
4: fucking way out there, man. If if Andy, Andy Reed Branson get yourself a houseboat. If if if, if Andy Reid makes a good coaching move and they go, like if oh. he challenges something. Andy reads it right <laughs> or reads it right, something like that. Um, I said it twice. You go, Andy what? reads it right,
2: reads it right. Like, <laughs> Dude, I we did. are both such a couple of summer school kids. Huh? Um, give all, me right. A... All, all right. I'm... So, Paul Versey has the Cincinnati Bengals laying one. Yeah. Oh, Billy Freckle took KC getting one. And then we got.
4: Uh, we both took the Eagles. We both took the Eagles. Uh, I'm like you said with the other with the Chiefs and the and the Bengals. I'm rooting for the Niners. I'm rooting for the Niners. But I, I have to be a. I have to. I saw what I saw. And even though the coach did that, and even though they beat my team, uh, I I they're a better team. So
2: Listen, the Eagles. Eagles coach. I would love to have a beer with that guy. Absolutely, But I'll tell you this right now. No one knows what the fuck they're doing to that level. To that level. To sit there and nod at the fucking camera. It's like, dude, you're winning a playoff game. Thousands upon thousands of coaches have done that. Yeah. And never went any further. So, like, I don't know. And plus, like I said, fucking broken record here. Uh, to see what Jalen Hurts was doing. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like fucking, I can't say LT, but back in the day when LT was running around. Bill Parcells, you know. Not going to take anything away from that guy, but he, he literally had a Marvel superhero.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: on D, yeah. Phil Jackson. Yeah. Okay, Phil Jackson's got more rings than Red Aura back. He also had Superman and Superman's son to build his fucking team around. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ, did, did you win? Yeah, and the whole and Shaq,
4: yeah, and the Hulk. mountain that could talk, <laughs> um. You know what I liked Sirianni before the nod of the head because they asked him. They go, "Hey, did you watch the Giants? Did you watch the Giants and the Minnesota game?" And he goes, "Yeah, I got had all the coaches in the room, and you know what? For some reason, we just decided to get some bad pizza or something." He goes, "We got Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza, and we just sat down and watched it and ate it." And I was like, "All right, this guy's just this guy's like, you know, even though it's terrible, he knew." And then when I saw the head nod, and then the you don't think I know what the fuck I'm doing, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> um, but all right, so we both like the we both like the Eagles, and Bill's gonna take the Chiefs. I'm gonna take uh Joe Burrow, getting one, and there you go. You know what? Um, know what the fuck you're doing. And cause I cause we know what the fuck we're doing.
2: He literally looked like some jerk off with end zone seats nodding into the camera, excited that he was on TV. And this is like a professional head football coach. I really think that that was a, a moment in NFL history where now all the young coaches that saw it are now going to start doing that shit. And now we're going to have to deal with, like, the team. They're going to they're gonna have to have a split screen when the team scores the touchdown to watch the player doing his dance and the head coach, like what he's doing. I just, like, I don't know. Paul, I'm telling you, dude, this is, this is like a, we are living in an unprecedented ignorant time. It is. Because all of these people and all of these cameras and all these ways to put your fucking opinions out there. I mean, look at us, Paul. Okay. Not like we're not part of the problem, but um, the way that ignorance is being like, uh, like lofted up and something to aspire to. And if I hear one more moron say, I like this guy because he reminds me of me. I just want to be like, have you done any introspective work on yourself whatsoever? <laughs> Somebody had that joke. Like, I like the president. He sounds like me. He's like, I don't want the president to sound like me. No. I want him to be way smarter.
4: Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's a regular guy. He's a the. F- yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, either moron like us. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, dude, uh, coaches hey, oh, my, used to be coaches used to look like football coaches the way baseball managers used to. Now baseball managers are jacked and thin. I remember Stump Merrill. His name was Stump. And he looked like a stump. I don't know if he's alive. If he's alive, you know, if he's not rest his soul. He came out to the Yankees. He waddled out to the mound. Everyone would go, stump. He had a big belly. He looked like a baseball manager. Don Zimmer rest his soul. Looked right. like a baseball manager. Football coach. I'd give it to Andy Reid. Bill Parcells. Uh, who was it? Who was the guy? Chuck, not Chuck no, Chuck Noel, but who's the Eagles guy? The Eagles one. Oh, uh uh Dick Vermeil. No, the other one. Uh, he had a Oh, uh, Ryan, Buddy Ryan, Rex's dad. Buddy Ryan. Buddy Ryan looked like those guys look. Oh, so
2: does his brother.
3: Hank Schramm.
2: Well, his brother actually looks like a roadie for the Allman Brothers, though.
4: Yeah, Hank Schramm. Hank Schramm was like a an in-shape, out-of-shape guy, if that makes sense. He was like a put-together, out-of-shape guy with the red jacket. Uh, teamster body. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but he talked like he was selling watches. He was, he was like, he just he he would would always go over to the ref and like have like really fast conversations.
4: Yeah, yeah, he talked like a used car salesman, but that you kind of liked. Yeah, come on, the thing runs. It runs great. Just I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Lombardi, dude, look at Lombardi. Lombardi, not not the greatest of shape, but you were like, this guy knows what he's. What the hell's going on out here? That's that's. (laughs) Nobody checked. Yeah. Now they showed that one guy doing yoga. The fucking coach of the Chargers was like doing yoga with his back. It's just like, I, I don't like it. Hey, look, dude.
2: I, you, what do you, I mean? I don't want to die either. So these guys being in shape doesn't bug me. It's like I'm telling you, dude. That that fucking thing was that was a shift. Yeah. Shift. Yeah. It was like when Donald Trump. Was running for president and the press was accusing him of shit. And he just said, Hey, you know, you're probably right. And they had no follow up. He exposed them like you guys are a paper tiger. There's nothing yeah. behind this. Like you want me to uh, back down and then fucking no, I'm not leaving this election. And I'm admitting to what you're accusing me of. What do you got? And they had fucking nothing. Now, did you see that fucking Joe Biden? Did you see that Joe Biden clip?
4: No, the new one
2: from him way back in the day, dude, he's going off going like, I, you know, I, I was in the bottom third of my half of my class and went up to the bottom, uh, the top third, like the math didn't even work out on it. And he <laughs> talked. I, I have, I have two degrees in this blah, 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 all of this shit. It was all bullshit.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You saw him, dude, he was just making up shit back when his mind was sharp. That guy could make up fucking lies on the fly about how great it was. And That's the kind of shit, dude. When I was a kid, if that ever came out, you had to fucking, you had to bow out in shame. You know, who changed it. Bill Clinton. Yeah. Bill Clinton. When all Bill Clinton's whores came out and said he did this and he did all that, and he was just like, I had a couple of, you know, yeah, I had a couple of infidelities, but I ain't leaving. <laughs> Old oh, Slick Willie.
4: Yeah, Went and right
2: I th- there with that fucking. Jesus Christ, lad. you know, Al Gore was like Pinocchio middle aged <laughs>
4: <laughs> It was like he was like, ah, sorry. Dude, uh, I, I love should- uh did you, ever, did you see Dana? Did you see Dana Carvey's way, summer school with George W. Bush? <laughs> did you did you see Dana Carvey's Al Gore? <laughs> He goes, Dana, Dana Carvey's Al Gore. He goes, he's like really like effeminate, and he goes, it is getting hot, (laughs) (laughs) dude. It's so fucking great. Um, but yeah, beast. Oh my god, dude. But you know what? That that Arkansas twang makes you get away with stuff, dude. It makes if he sounded like if he sounded like Trump, he wouldn't get away with it as much.
2: (laughs) What? Bill Clinton was from Arkansas. Where was Al Gore from? Yeah, uh, I don't. That's Wasn't a good question. Carolinas or something like that. It's got to
4: be. It's getting. It is
2: getting I, hot. Uh, <laughs> going like I worked the soil. I I was I was touching it. And he just said all stupid shit, and he's staring at. I'm like, why is this wooden puppet talking to me about farming? Um, that guy really had the charisma of like a fucking dork.
3: Yeah. Washington D.C.
2: He's from D.C. Uh, he was like, what if an inanimate object could talk? This Dude, they've had some bad ones. Like, they've had some bad people just bombing. But then if you have too much energy, then you're fucked.
4: That one guy.
2: Remember <laughs> you
4: know that guy? Oh, uh, uh, Howard Dean?
2: I was well, getting it. We gotta go to Minneapolis. We going to Right there. That was great. And then he was like, huh? And
4: they were. Dude, they yanked him right when that happened. It was a wrap.
2: And nowadays, it wouldn't even matter. It would just be a meme, and he would roll with it, and they would bring him on stage to that sound. Yeah. Let's hear battle cry, and there'd be a million mouth-breathing morons going, Aah! it's over, Paul. It's over. Yeah. Just enjoy yourself before
4: we fall into the ocean. All right. Football All right. Right. weekend, everybody. <laughs> um. All right, we're gonna do a. Uh, we are gonna do a one-game parlay for the AFC Championship game versus the Chiefs and the Bengals. Um, oh, we're um, right. What we this year?
2: It ben starts NBA just one every round. We have to knock them out. Listen, we're gonna going going to to do it knockout. this
4: week. We're gonna do it this week, and we're gonna do it with the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, because I know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> And then we're gonna look at the camera and go with our fucking dumb hats over our eyes. Okay.
2: Oh. Um, it looked like a hat his mother sewed.
4: <laughs> Mom, I don't want to wear it.
3: All right. Um, so you got shit, uh, pull it
4: over your ears. It's snowing.
3: A couple prop options. Um, right. uh, yeah. I'll just I'll read a few out. You got Patrick Mahomes over under two hundred eighty five passing yards. Uh, over under fifteen rushing yards. And that might just be a fun under right there if you don't think he's gonna be able to move at all. Um you but if God forbid
4: horse. but if I don't think
3: he's gonna do it.
4: No, but here's the deal. If God forbid it's like everything's on the line and he's got open field in front of him and he does it and everybody goes nuts and then they go, Mahomes on one leg, gets a first down. I don't even want to fucking let's No just one go- ever played hurt at that position like that <laughs> ever before.
3: That's funny. All right, um, plus one passing yards, plus two passing, or, t- passing touchdowns, plus well, two I passing touchdowns. I hope you
2: appreciate what you just saw,
4: that one-legged scamper.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah. Joe I haven't Bolo. seen
4: somebody sacrifice their body since John Elway did the helicopter in the Super Bowl. No, you no. hear all that shit.
2: All right, because they actually gave credit that somebody else did it. You have to act like no one has ever done <laughs> It ever.
4: <laughs> yeah. All right. All um, right. Um, what's the Joe Burrow passing situation?
3: Over under two hundred and seventy five yards. Uh, anytime touchdown. Oh. That's so that'd be rushing one plus touchdown, two plus touchdown passing.
2: I think under on either one of those. I take
4: the under on either one of those.
3: So under two seventy five passing yards.
4: Yeah, under under 275 passing yards for Burrow, I agree. Uh touchdown for Burrow? No, I was saying for uh
2: Patrick Mahomes. I do it with either one of them. I just don't see this game like they're going to be like fucking throwing 50-yard touchdowns. You touchdown. want to do the unders? What's the under the for Mahomes passing
3: yards?
4: What's the under for Mahomes passing yards?
3: 285. I'll take I like that under. So 285 for Mahomes, 275 for Burrow.
4: No, no, no. We don't have to do both. Let's, can we, we no, can I'm do No, I'm just one? saying they
3: just took group. Yeah, let's,
4: well, uh, you know, what do you think, Bill? Which one do you think is under, more under? Burrow going 275 or Mahomes going 285?
2: I like Mahomes under, even though I'm betting the Chiefs. I just think, I just think this is going to be one of the... Yeah,
4: well, that's a lot of yards. That's a lot of yards in an AFC championship game. And, uh, you know, he may dink and dunk, but I don't know. I, I, let's take under 285. Okay. Um, I think no. Burrow's going to throw one to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins. Uh-huh. What's that? I said, why I, I break one? Uh, I think eat. I think Joe Burrow's going to throw a touchdown to either uh, T. Higgins or Jamar Chase for sure. Okay.
3: Okay, so, so we can do it any time for T. Higgins.
4: No, can't we just do a touchdown for Joe Burrow? Touchdown pass for Joe. Oh Burrow? yeah, pass.
3: Yeah, so plus one passing yeah. for Joe Burrow. Yeah,
4: pass what, plus one for Joe Burrow under 285 for Mahomes and then um what's Joe Mixon's rushing yards number
3: uh over under 60 uh rushing receiving 25
4: any other fun ones
3: be the over there um, yeah, I, um great numbers they just picked there yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, over oh. under 50 yards receiving. Um, Tyler Boyd, over under 40 yards receiving. I'm probably take the over on that. Um, Travis Kelsey, over under 85 yards receiving. Ooh.
4: Is Travis Kelsey for a touchdown?
3: Uh, any t- Anytime touchdown, so yeah, receiving.
4: I mean, that's his guy in the red zone every time.
3: All right, let's go with
2: that then.
4: All right, so we'll go Travis Kelsey to... Travis Kelsey to catch one, Joe Burrow to throw one, and under Mahomes, 285 passing. I
2: I think it's going to be a close game and not a high-scoring game. Smash cut.
4: Absolute blowout. (laughs) (laughs) Mahomes looks great. Uh, (laughs) uh, He's got 274 yards in the first half. We don't even know which leg was hurt. Um all right, let's uh let's uh wrap this up now. So both of us are taking the Eagles oof as painfully as that is to say with with this sitting next to me and that we're gonna take the Eagles laying in two and a half and Bill is taking the Chiefs getting one and I'm taking Cincinnati giving one. And then we have our parlay for you guys, our championship parlay, okay? Travis Kelsey to catch a touchdown, that's his guy. I like that. Joe Burrow to throw one anytime in the game, I like that. And we think Patrick Mahomes is going to go under 285 passing yards. Um, I like that too. So there you go. And, uh, guys, as always just download the app and you could play with us. You put in the, anything better. Uh, you could click on the anything better parlay and bet with us. Here's how you do it. You go to BetMGM, you download the app, you use bonus code burr, B U R R. It's very simple. You put in as much as 10, as little as 10 bucks and they'll match up to a thousand. Even if you lose, all you got to do is make sure you put in the bonus code. Our bonus code for anything better is burr B U R R. And there you guys go. Uh, Bet responsibly, and like I said, as little as ten bucks up to a thousand, they're going to match it. Doesn't beat that. Get a stack, you can't beat it. Get a stack. You know, there you go. Um, enjoy Championship Week. What could I say? You know, uh, it was perfect. Get a stack. You wipe your nose. <laughs> you can't beat it. Get a stack. <laughs> yeah, like I've been doing. Blow. Wait, no. Um, call your wife
2: later. Get a stack. You'll be fine. <laughs> Hey, um, one day a week I do blow 52 times a year on Sunday
4: if we and then uh oh my God one more week and then we'll be back with our Super Bowl edition next week but oh, uh actually we could wait oh Paul
2: what's I'm that the Pro Bowl this
4: year buried it <laughs> I got I might to be to away to win big you're gonna bet on that flag football game that
2: oh, uh
3: there's uh, always Eli one
2: it goes hard and ends somebody's fucking career every couple of years. Nah, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, you know, I do it. You know, you know, put a helmet on, fucking hit somebody.
4: Yeah,
2: like I, ended that catcher's career at the fucking All Star game. Ran him over.
4: Oh Fucked my up god! Control. That was oh it. All Star game. All Star game. That was Pete Rose, right? What was the catcher's name? Nobody remembers for the Detroit Tigers. That's fucking horrible. Andrew, find out who Pete Rose ran over just for his family's sake if somebody's listening to this. The fact that you said nobody knows is so horrible, man. That guy got bulldozed. Listen, Paul, sometimes life hurts. You know? Sometimes
2: you're Pete Rose. Sometimes you're the other guy just standing there with waiting for the ball to come in.
4: Dude, Ray did you Fosse. see? What? Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey. I remember Ray that, Fosse. yeah.
3: Dude.
4: One. The <laughs> <singular> <laughs> sensation.
2: Uh, Yo, they. Ju- <laughs> they
4: just. <laughs> they they uh they just showed they just showed a picture of Pete Rose like this holding his first like gambling ticket at like one at a sports book <laughs> and he's just like this because he bet on like I think he bet on like one of his teams and they just showed him there and it was just such like a a prop it was like, <laughs> like OJ holding a fucking. OJ o- J- holding a fucking
2: knife. A guy that bet illegally on baseball to a guy who fucking killed two people.
4: No, no, no. I was thinking of like OJ holding something that, like, as like a, you know, I was going to say knife, probably an off color joke. I'm sorry. Um, He's anyway. on the network. He's on chopped.
2: <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, my wife the other day. Oh, a <laughs> minute. She was watching one of those, those, she watches that food show where they have the kids cooking and they fire the kids because they can't fucking cook good enough. It's just a fucking horrible show and she's watching it. And there was this kid on there. He was such a fucking little douche. You you ever just see a kid and you just see the fucking corporate CEO he's going to be? I don't want to describe him because he's still a kid and and I don't want to fucking like, you know, make it it like Gordon Ramsay. Dude, they're building another kitchen for him to scream at people in.
4: You it's call like, that what? a cupcake?
2: That that no a cup matter cake? how you cook it, he's not going to be happy with it. <laughs> what do you say to What do you say to your son if he's an inspi- aspiring chef and he's going to go on the Gordon Ramsay show? And just all right, Paul, listen. You know you have a temper, so like when he starts yelling at you because he's going to yell at you, just just block it out. Just keep stirring that. Just
4: stirring that fucking thing in the. The dude, if he if he screamed at my son or daughter like that I, and I was there, I'd stick his dumb Irish head in boiling water. and <laughs> be He's... the end of the fucking season. <laughs> what? He what? He's
2: English. Oh, uh, whatever. English. Oh, but that fucking dude, somebody's gotta get him some lotion. His face looks like a fucking Rand McNally map when I and started.
4: <laughs> It's such an act to be that mad when it's not good. It's one thing to go like this is he like gets like like he wants to fight the person.
2: It, yeah, I mean, as a showman, I will tell you this when he when he was going around to those fucked up restaurants trying to fix them, that show was my favorite because yeah. the guy can cook his fucking ass off. I'm just breaking his balls here. That fucking thing when he went in and he would go in, and they always had some fucking piece of chicken that had been there since last February. And he would be like, oh, go! what was that smell? And he'd come in, and he start, like, fucking gagging. Yeah, yeah. Like, just rancid shit in there. And it was... God bless. I, I will tell you that, dude. Like, you know, if anything gets that guy into heaven, was was that show. Because he was talking to some of the dumbest people. I, it's like, how do you how did you even open a fucking restaurant? They were so yeah. fucking stupid. And uh, what was that called? That wasn't called Bar
4: Rescue. That was... Uh, no, um, restaurant. I know what it was though. I know what it was. He would like find a failing restaurant with like bad chefs and like change the menu. I forgot the name of it. It, it was like a restaurant version of bar rescue, but like you know,
2: and I you know, how- 10 days of him leaving, it just went back to
4: the same shithole it was. Um, yeah. kitchen nightmares. Well, there, oh, kitchen nightmare, kitchen nightmares. Uh, um, kitchen nightmares. um, uh. All right, guys. Well, that's it. Uh, hope you guys have a good championship week. Hope your teams win. Hope you win some money. This has been the anything better. Uh, unfortunately, second to last one ever for this season. Uh, oof, that's tough to say. No more football, right. no more. Well, let's uh, I hope all you guys out there know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> all right, guys. This is the show. Uh, enjoy championship weekend, and we'll see you next week. All right. Sorry I talked to you.